Recorded live. Well, hello, this is Michael Adams from Nothing But the Truth. It's March the 18th, 2015. And uh, we're going to do another episode of uh, Wacky Wednesday, the Nephilim. And uh, I think it should be very rewarding to hear uh, a lot of insights. Let's look at the Yahoo.com uh, headlines. A Holocaust-denying bishop makes waves again with uh, consecration. Vatican City AP, a Holocaust-denying Catholic bishop who made headlines in 2009 when Pope Benedict XVI rehabilitated him and members of his breakaway traditionalists. Ah, interesting. Uh, then, of course, we got another one about the Philippines. The Philippines had a terror raid, bittersweet for U.S. forces. Uh, then we got one about Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush, 20 years after conversion, has guided his Catholic is is guided by his Catholic faith. And then uh, Boehner is Catholic too. Uh, House Republicans just let the cat out of the bag. Um, it's not about streamlining the federal government. Um, or somebody's chemist saying that he uh, figured out how long the Earth has been around, it looks like. <laughs> All right. Um, Oh, yeah, the, after nun rape, uh, India cardinals say, uh, says, protect humans, not just cows, warrior. It's talking about India's Catholic bishops. Um, apparently, a nun was raped. Anyways, that should be enough to prove the fact that through one particular organization who seems to be dominating the headlines, and, of course, the Pope is coming to have a joint session of Congress, uh, in September and then uh, address the UN. And do you think that is appropriate? What happened to separation of church and state? Now, let's see where we're at. Okay, they were reading last time from the Great Nephilim Deception. This is on scribes.com. That's S-C-R-I-B-D.com. And we were reading about uh, Chuck Missler and all these books that they're selling and about the connection with the fallen angels, aliens, Nephilim, and all that kind of stuff. And basically twisting the scriptures and selling fairy tales. So we're going to read more about that. And then I think what we're going to do is we're going to go to um, uh, so I get this right. The S, excuse me, C, F A R, um, and they deal with cults. And I think uh, we're going to learn a little bit from some of the gentlemen on the work here. Um, some are well known. I believe something Martin or Martin something. I can't remember his name now. Anyways. We'll, we'll hear him talk. 
Um, yeah, I, I think you got to develop. Personally, I got to develop a better approach to all this. I would like to share this, not only just as far as information to give to people, but a, an answer, how to answer and deal with these things, because the New Age movement and all these, uh, well, these cult, cultish movements that have taken over the church, um, how do we deal with it in a, in a Christ-like manner? And uh, I think that's going to be part of this journey, is learning how to do that. How to, how to share this stuff in love and compassion and and uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, but at the same time, you know, exposing this stuff. So, you know, if you look at whether it's the Roman Catholic Church or the Mormons or Seventh-day Adventists or whoever it may be, I mean, they're trapped in legalism and in a cult, and uh, they have been denied the opportunity of knowing the true gospel of Jesus Christ and how it frees one from bondage and from all this legalism and all this stuff. <clears throat> and so my hope is that, that I can grow in the Lord doing this and uh, help others too. So, um, yeah, going in a different direction. I'm glad things are starting to change. And slowly it's starting to morph into uh, why a good reason for doing this besides just you know, for me... Uh, um, we'll see how it goes. But anyways, yeah, so the next this next part we're going to read from this article, once again, the great Nephilim deception is the Nephilim hoax. Now, I know for many of you, you're probably thinking, who cares? I figured this one out. This is, you know, silliness anyways. But um, let's face it, it's, uh, it is out there. Uh, a lot of people like myself have become you know, born again and uh, start believing in Jesus Christ. We get sucked up in all this stuff, and there's no one there really to defend us and help us. So my hope is that uh, anybody that hears stuff will uh, be able to use some of their God-given ability to critically think through this stuff and say, you know what, it really is nothing. It's not biblical, and it's just guys selling books to make some money. And... Um, Probably more than that, but um, what can we do except expose this this uh, this lie, this deception? So <clears throat> this this uh, section is called the Nephilim hoax. I can't remember where I stopped off, but this is where I'm going to start off anyway. So might be repeating myself here. At this point, we need to examine exactly how Missler justifies his demonic hybrid or Nephilim theory in the Bible, in Bible terms. This theory has already been comprehensively refuted by Dr. Kathy Burns in her book, Nephilim, uh, Fallen Angels, and Aliens. What does the Bible say? And since 2009, other Bible scholars have also rejected the theory as speculative hookum based on seriously flawed exegetical principles. Generally, Nephilim zealots ignore any statement in Scripture that conflicts with their theory and focus only on those which 
with enough twisting and bending can make uh, can be made to suit their purpose. And of course, we have tendency to all to do that, don't we? And then, then ends up we end up following something cultish. Uh, much of the uh, somatic uh, conjuring that these experts employ to construct their false theory centers around the biblical meaning of the word seed. Um, in nearly all cases, it means the actual physical seed of the agricultural variety or the descendants of an individual. In a few cases, however, it is used figuratively. For example, after reciting the parable of the sower, Christ said, the seed is the word of God, Luke 8.11. Also in Romans 9.8, Paul actually reverses the meaning without holding approval from the physical, but giving it to the figurative. Uh, quote, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are accounted for the seed. Uh, end quote. In saying this, he also confirms that the Hebrew zara, that's Z-A-R-A, which means seed, and the Greek sperma, which means seed, are equivalent. Okay, this is in, uh, in examples... These examples show that the, the biblical use of the word seed does not necessarily imply a physical or a reproductive seed. So when a Nephilim theorist says, for example, in Genesis 3.15, speaks of Satan's seed, quote, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, end quote. It does not mean that Satan has the capacity to generate offspring. Rather, it means that his followers or children, both demonic and human, quote, ye are, are, ye are of your father, the devil, end quote, will hate those who follow Christ. Misler tries, to, tries the same trick with a verse from Daniel that often that is often quoted by the Nephilim theorist, Daniel 4, 2, verses 43, and it says, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. This verse is found in the section of Daniel dealing with the latter part of the Fourth World Empire, which will exercise global control at the end time. How is, here is how Misler exploits this passage. Quote, switching to a personal pronoun they, uh, and I quote, shall uh, mingle themselves with the seed of men, um, I'm going to stop with all this quote stuff because it's just close, quote, 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 here. So, there's <laughs> one thing I quote from. Okay. Switching to a personal pronoun, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. This is extremely suggestive when viewed in the light 
the warning of our Lord, um, ostensibly directing us to look more closely at Genesis 6, just what or who are mingling with the seed of men? Who are these non-seed? It staggers the mind to contemplate the potential significance of Daniel's passage and its implication for the future global governance. Could this be a hint of a return to the mischief of Genesis 6? Are aliens and their hybrid offspring part of the political makeup of this emergent world empire? Are the UFO incidents part of a carefully orchestrated program to lead us towards uh, a political agenda? End quote. End quote. Or, has this started already? Are the UFOs and increasingly widespread abductions part of the preparation for this scenario? Is the alleged hybridization program on which John Mack and others expound part of a satanic plan to infiltrate the coming global government with alien satanic forces? Are these aliens and their offsprings part of the move towards a global government that we already see in motion, both here in the U.S. and in Europe, in chapter 13 of his book? Um, and this is the author's response, author to the article, of the articles, her response, his response to uh, Missler. This sensationalistic exegesis is very disturbing. With a series of rhetorical questions, he implies that demons breed with humans before the flood and that this is in turn prompted uh, in turn prompted the Lord to destroy them along with virtually all life on earth. But they interbreeded yet again after the flood and today are scheming to uh, in concert with their hyperdimensional brethren to take over the world. This is science fiction, not biblical exegesis. It is a um, as you say, it is a uh, parallel mixture of speculation, fantasy, and irrational argument. Many who employ this kind of wacky reasoning are working on a pseudoscience principle that if it can happen, it will happen, but they ignore what the Lord told us will actually happen. How many space aliens do we find in the book of Revelations? How many motherships unload their invading armies to destroy mankind? How many hybrids descend from the skies to conquer the hapless masses of humanity? In reference, the reference in Daniel to the mingled seed of men is a reference to the fatal composition of the fourth world empire in, in its latter phase. The final three world empires, excuse me, the first three world empires, as delineated in Daniel, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, and the Greek, each had a major advantage over their end-time counterpart, namely a predominant racial identity. They were ethnically homogeneous, genius, 
uh, possessing the same language and culture and descended from a common racial group or seed. The latter phase of the Roman Empire, which will lack this significant advantage, being a composition of many races, seeds and quote, languages and cultural backgrounds. This will make it extremely difficult for supporters of the Antichrist. Of course, we've de determined on this show that it would be the papacy. It is the papacy. Uh, to wield all re re regions of the globe into a single well-functioning political entity. Daniel himself tells us that the uh, this tells us that the was this new nonsense world government will comprise ten. Uh, what am I saying? They anyways, nonsense world um, government will comprise ten continental regions, each with its own governor, the toes in the Daniel's image. The Antichrist will be able to take control of these regions for only a short uh, time. <coughs> this interpretation becomes even more apparent when one examines Daniel 2.43 in context. The fourth kingdom will, okay, this is uh, Daniel 2, verse 40. It looks like uh, all the way through 44, so we're going to read that. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh into pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all this, these shall it break into pieces and bruise. Whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of the potter's clay, and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with the miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part iron and part clay, so the kingdom shall be purely strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, and but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in those days, uh, the, the, these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the king and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break into pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Daniel 2, verses 40 through 44. In the course of his various arguments, Missler also refers to just 6. Quote, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, the daughters were born unto them, and the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. They took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, man for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an 120 years, 
and there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. And when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to, to them, and the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Genesis 6, 1-4. through 4. It would take too long to explore what this passage actually means, but we know for a certainty that it cannot mean Missler's claim that it proves that the fallen angels, sons of God, mated with human females, daughters of men, and produced a strange hybrid offspring, giants in the earth, men of renown. But this interpretation conflicts with several other Bible truths. A, who maketh his angels spirits? Psalms 104, verse 4, and Hebrews 1, 7. A spirit being cannot interact with the earth, the earth unless the Lord permits it. B, angels were all made at once at the start of creation week. Job 38 verses 4 through 7. They have no need to reproduce and therefore could not possess a means of doing so. And see, all angels are male in <laughs> character. There are no female angels. If the fallen angels possessed all the abilities that Messler's alleges, they would long ago have taken complete control of the world and the earth would have would be overrun by hybrids, and all the humanity would be utterly enslaved by a tyranny uh, too evil to imagine. Consider once again the powers of Mister's claims for the fallen angels. They can take physical form whenever they wish and choose any physical form they desire, including that of humans, interbred with humans, abduct humans for experimental pro purposes, manufacture functional reproductive organs, and manipulate matter in extraordinary ways, and even create life. Scripture does not support any of these bizarre claims. If they were true, the world would have collapsed long ago into a state of complete chaos. Moreover, none of the end-time prophecies in either the Old or New Testament give the slightest indication that fallen angels will at any time be in the future possess their powers. Um, so then the fallen, fallen angels will at any time in the future possesses, possess these powers. Excuse me. Virtually everything they have done or will do that impacts directly on mankind requires the cooperation of man. Misler and the Nephilim Zealots are themselves prime examples of the power that fallen angels do possess, namely the power to deceive. People who believe that demons can interact in a systematic physical way with mankind and even interbreed with humans are greatly deceived. What is more, it, is, it suits Satan's purpose to promote this deception because when, uh, when followed through, to its ultimate conclusion, it denies biblical truth in a most dramatic fashion. Indeed, if the Nephilim theorists, theorists excuse me, if the Nephilim thesis 
is true, then its implications are devastating. Just consider the following. Implications A, the Antichrist. One, it would mean accepting the fallen angels could mate with humans and produce a viable offspring. Two, if angels have DNA, then there is no obvious reason why they could not have populated planets and other galaxies with various life forms. Three, combine two. Number two, with the lie of evolution, which is accepted by a very large portion of the professing Christians, and the life forms of other planets could have evolved into intelligent beings, or the Earth could be threatened by intelligent beings from their galaxies, from other galaxies. Five, uh, the threat at number four. Um, Necessitates, necessitates the intervention of a world savior. Whoever defeats the invading aliens would therefore be regarded as saviors of mankind. Implication B, mass executions. One, it would mean accepting that fallen angels can mate with humans and produce uh, viable offspring. Two, the offspring uh, produced by such a union would not be natural humans, but a hybrid species that appears to be human. Three members of the hybrid species could have interbred among themselves and infiltrated normal human society over many generations. For the hybrid species, which look almost perfectly human, is actually considered conspiring to take over the planet it means uh, its members must be identified and destroyed. Uh, five, modern DNA testing will eventually enable hybrids to be uh, identified and removed in detention centers. Six, since their continued existence would pose an ongoing threat to the welfare of human civilization, the UN would decide that uh, regrettably the hybrid species must be destroyed. Implication C, Satan, not sin, is the curse of a fallen man. One, it would mean accepting that fallen angels could mate with humans and produce viable offspring. Uh, two, since this could ha have occurred before the flood, it could have caused extensive corruption of the human gene pool. Three, God destroyed all but eight members of the human race, possibly one to two billion people, in the flood because the human gene pool had become seriously corrupted. The flood was a judgment of God, not because of man's sin, but because of the damage caused by a human gene pool worldwide by demons who mated with humans. Five, God is a God of love and not a God of judgment. He will only judge demons and who those who carry the Nephilim seed. All other sinners will be saved. Six, the judgment of God at number five will also explain the sudden disappearance and the rapture of large numbers of supposed hybrids. No doubt there are further implications, but these three examples should serve to illustrate just how dangerously unbiblical the Nephilim 
hypothesis really is and why the enemy is so keen to promote its acceptance among Christians. There is good reason to believe that the deception was planned several thousand years ago by Satan and his top lieutenants. Uh, perhaps the best illustration of this is the book of Enoch, which was written around 200 years before the incarnation of Christ. This ancient book is not part of God's holy word, and yet it is often cited by scholars, notably those who subscribe to the Nephilim hypothesis, as though it should have been included in the Bible. They argue that the references, or the reference to the book of Enoch in the epistle of Jude is proof that the apostles regarded it as authentic historical document. And Enoch also, uh, the seventh from Adam, uh, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of the saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude 14, looks like 15 through 15. Uh, Misler himself tries to elevate the book of Enoch to near scriptural status. Here's some of his quotes. Quote, among the numerous uh, ancient records of alien visitors to the planet Earth, none are more significant than the records of the Bible. In fact, the Bible records records the first astronaut who left Earth, Enoch, in chapter 10. And Mr. goes on to say the book, the book of Enoch also clearly treats these uh, strange events as evolving angels, although this book is not considered a part of the inspired canon. The book of Enoch was uh, ventured by both rabbinical and early Christian authorities from about 200 B.C. through about uh, A.D. 200. And he goes on to say that in the early chapters of the book of Enoch, we are told a great deal about the early history of the earth, the days of Noah and the watchers. According to the book of Enoch and other ancient rabbinic writings, the watchers were a specific group of angels that God had placed to watch over the earth. According to the book of Enoch, 200 of these watchers lusted and fell into sin when they married the daughters of men. The result of this ungodly union was the birth of unnatural offspring, the Nephilim. End of quote. At last, this is one of the greatest red herrings in biblical scholarship. The zealots are assuming, A, that Jude is referring to the book to a book by Enoch and not just a, a prophecy by him, possibly transmits by oral tradition, be the book of Enoch that we have today is the same one which Jude may have been referring, if he was referring to the, a written source. See, it would, be, it would not have been quoted by Jude unless the book was authentic and completely accurate throughout, and D, that given the extensive formation that it supplies regarding one of the 
least transparent passages of the Bible, Genesis 6, 1 through 4, and purports to be based on the records made before the flood. It must refer to historical events. (coughs) Not one of these assumptions is warranted or well-founded. They also make the error of assuming that because the book of Enoch was preserved seemingly by the same scribes and rabbis who preserved the scrolls of the Old Testament, it must, in effect, constitute a valuable footnote of the Bible. Supporters of the Nephilim hypothesis need to take a deep breath and say, the book of Enoch is a man-made artifact. It is not the word of God and has no more validity than any other ancient manuscript. The Bible can never be interpreted by references to material found in any other book. It is simple interpreting, self-defining, self-contained, and perfectly consistent. We can never take anything outside of its pages and use it to define a doctrine that is not otherwise stated in Scripture. The error is even more egregious in this case since the book of Enoch not only defines a doctrine that is not taught in Scripture, but actually propounds one that conflicts with Scripture. So where did Jude get the words of the prophecy that he attributed to Enoch? No doubt from the same source that Moses got the words from Adam, spoke before Eve, Genesis 2.23, or Job, and the word of the Lord spoke to Satan, Job 1.7. Or David, the word that the Father spoke to the Son in Psalms 1.10, verse 1. We, are, we exceed our authority as students of the word of God when we presume to know why God recorded what he did and how any of the Bibles, 40 or so authors knew what they knew. The Nephilim saga teaches us that if one makes enough assumptions, twists enough verses of scripture, ignores conflicting biblical truths, utilizes extra biblical sources, and relies heavily on ignorance of one's audience, demons, can mate with humans to produce hybrids, offspring, that walk among us today. On the other hand, if we stick faithfully to the Word of God and employ all well-founded and long-established exegetical principles, we will see that man in his fallen sinful state is the author of his own misfortune and that the calamity that lies ahead will be caused by exactly the same factors that caused the worldwide flood 2500 BC or about that or, or thereabouts men's disobedient and rebellious nature his desperately wicked imagination and his insatiable appetite for sin 
Okay, then we're going to talk about the Giants now. And then we're going to go, uh, let's see, thinking about, should I even bother with this? Maybe it's a good place to stop. We know where we're at. Maybe we'll stop. We'll play a video. We're going to um, play a video from, um, or an audio, I should say, from uh, uh, the this, this centers.org, which also is the... Um, uh, C-F-A-R. What does that stand for again? Let's see what that stands for. Uh, I'll lose bit. Sorry for the delay. I'm trying to figure out what it stands for. International Counter Cult Ministries. But what does that actually stand for? I can't figure that one out. Hmm. Well, I'll figure it out at some point. But anyways, then it's C slash A it's C slash F A R. And anyways, these guys they do a lot of work on um uh, cults, challenging cults and uh, Christianity and, and, um, and then they deal with all these major cults um, and um, anyways, the, he's got uh, an interesting lecture that he did called the New Age Alien Obsession and uh, I've talked to several people in the past year uh, about this stuff and you know thinking about how did this stuff get, get how do we end up believing this stuff? How does it affect us? How does it influence us? And he has some pretty interesting insights. So what I think I'll do is I'll play that. It's about 45 minutes. Then we'll come back and then we'll read about the Giants. And then maybe what we'll do is then... Uh, we got all these other ones too, like the culting of America, the challenges, the challenge of discernment, 10 keys to witness to cults. Um, you know, I, I think this, we, we do, we absolutely do live in the kingdom of the cults. That's something that I recognized right away over a year, year and a half ago, actually even before that, but really started to be concerned about it about that time. And uh, how do we deal with this? So I think part of it is recognizing it. We don't have to be masters of all the nuances of, you know, what people believe and uh, that which is not scriptural, but um, I think having a general knowledge of who we're dealing with is an important thing. And then uh, I think going going over the gospel again myself and really getting crowded in the simplicity of it so that I can share it with other people um, in a way that's more pleasing to God and hopefully we'll reach to other people because uh, that's really what we're dealing with at the end of the day whether it's the Roman Catholic Church or whoever, we're all dealing with cults, you know, religions based on false doctrines and are designed to keep us from having that personal relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, anyways, hopefully this works and then we don't have any technical problems. Uh, come on here.
Alrighty, sorry for the delays. And get this set up first. Alright, here we go. Well, some of you may not have expected to hear a message on alien phenomena today. As James T. Kirk said, we will be going where no man has gone before. I'd like to begin by introducing my wife and my son, Carrie and David. Why don't y'all stand and wave? I might tell you that David came up with the idea for my most recent book, which will be coming out in about three months. It's on the hard sayings of Jesus. So uh, David helped me with the book, so I'm very proud of that. Now, I need to ask you a question. You know, a lot of people today claim that they're waking up in the middle of the night getting abducted by aliens. That's what they're saying today. Now, I want you to be honest with me. I want to ask you women first. How many of you women have been sound asleep? I mean, you're just very sound asleep, and maybe about 2 o'clock in the morning you hear something, and it scares you. Was that the window that just opened downstairs? And then you wake up your husband, George. Go see what that was. How many of you women have done that? Okay, good. Good number of you. Now, men, I want you to be honest. How many of you men have been sleeping soundly, then you wake up in the middle of the night thinking that you've heard something, and then you wake your wife and say, Would you go check that out? How many? Okay, a couple of you. We will be starting a recovery class at this church. See Rich after the service. Now, I wonder how many of you will admit to watching the Twilight Zone back some years ago. Anybody ever watch that show? Okay, good. I feel much better. Do you remember that episode where, uh, you know, uh, these nice aliens show up? I mean, they're just really nice aliens. And uh, these aliens are so nice that they've got this book with them called How to Serve Man. Now, of course, on the, on the title, it's, it's all alien gibberish, but they translate it for us on the spot, How to Serve Man. And these aliens, I mean, man, they're just so nice. They've got a book on the subject. And they convince all these earthlings that they're so nice. And by the end of the show, they've invited all these earthlings back to their own planet. And so the TV show portrays all these humans getting on board this ship. And right as the door is shutting, a scholar comes running out of a building. He was just finished translating the book and says, don't go, don't go, we've translated it. It's a cookbook. How to serve man. Okay, sick humor, but I laughed. Well, one thing that tells us is that things are not always as they seem. Amen? Things are not always as they seem, and we're going to see that that's especially true regarding alien phenomena. Now, it might interest you to know that as many books have been written on aliens and UFOs as have been written about the Kennedy family, and we all know that the Kennedy family is the gold medallion standard for popularity in publishing. So uh, that means that UFOs are quite popular today. We've also got all kinds of TV shows like Third Rock from the Sun and The X-Files. We've got motion pictures like Close Encounters and more recently Independence Day. We've also got the Roswell phenomena. Just last year, there was a celebration, an anniversary celebration, and 40,000 people showed up there in Roswell. UFOs are popular today. And so what we want to do 
is to step back and take a big look, take a broad look at this UFO alien movement and to try to gain some Christian perspectives on this issue. We want to gain some discernment on this issue. And I think as Christians, we do need discernment on this issue. Now, presently, there are many people interested in the search for extraterrestrial life. In fact, there is an organization known as SETI, S-E-T-I, and SETI simply stands for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And this is an organization searching for extraterrestrial life using radio telescopes. Now, some of you may have seen the movie Contact. That's the movie starring Jodie Foster. And on this movie, or in this movie, you see these radio telescopes pointed into outer space. Now, the movie is fiction, but the radio telescopes are real. In fact, millions and millions of dollars have been spent using radio telescopes listening for signals between 1,000 and 3,000 megahertz. The idea is, is that if there, there are aliens out there, we should be able to discover it by signals that we can hear with these radio telescopes. Now, it used to be that these radio telescopes were funded by the U.S. government, but as is true with so many other things, it ended up on the cutting floor of Congress. We ran out of money. So some rich people decided to support this, and among those rich people is Steven Spielberg. Now, Steven Spielberg was at a ceremony where he was donating uh, just an unbelievable amount of money to this project, and somebody asked him, well, Mr. Spielberg, do you really think that there's intelligent life out there? And he pondered for just a moment, and then he said, you know, I think the more important question is, is there intelligent life here on planet Earth? And I think he made a good point. I think he made a good point. We need to have discernment on these kinds of issues. Now, the bottom line so far is that millions of dollars have been spent, but they haven't heard a blip using these very expensive radio telescopes. So far, there's no sign whatsoever of extraterrestrial intelligence. Now, if there is extraterrestrial intelligence out there, the question becomes, why haven't they contacted us? Now, haven't you stayed up late wondering that? Why haven't they contacted us if there is life out there? Well, scientists have been debating this issue back and forth. Now, you'd think that they have better things to do, but they have been debating this thing back and forth. And uh, here are a couple of the hypotheses that they've come up with. One is the self-destruction hypothesis. This is the idea that there are aliens out there, but, uh, you know, they developed the technology of destruction, mass weapons and so forth and they ended up blowing themselves up before they could contact us. That's the self-destruction hypothesis. There's also the stay-at-home hypothesis. And this is the idea that the aliens are not really interested in contacting us. They'd rather just stay home and contemplate their own existence. And then there is the too-far-away hypothesis. This is the idea that there are aliens out there, but they're just so far away that there's no possible way for them to send a radio signal or a spaceship you know, all that stuff you see on Star Trek and Warp Drive and so forth, that's all fiction. You really can't do that. So maybe they're just so far away that they can't, can't contact us. Well, I've come up with a fourth hypothesis. It's called the they-ain't-there hypothesis. And it's at least worth considering. It's at least as much worth considering as some of these other hypotheses. Now, I have to tell you that Christians are divided on the issue as to whether there is extraterrestrial life out there. Some say yes, some say no. 
And I suppose there's room in the family of God for debate on this issue. But I think a key factor has to do with the Genesis account. But before I look at that, let me give you the viewpoints. There are some Christians who think there is life on other planets out there, and among them is Billy Graham. Billy Graham thinks that there probably is life out there, and if there is life out there, they're God's creatures just like we are God's creatures. Now, it's interesting to me that very often when I come across uh, Christian articles or books that argue for extraterrestrial intelligence, the verse that keeps coming up is John 14, verses 1 and 2. And you might want to make note of this. John 14, verses 1 and 2. Let me just read it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. Now the key part is, in my Father's house are many rooms. Now there's so many rooms that there's room for alien believers. That's the argument. I don't think that's a very good argument. I see some of you agreeing with me out there. But nevertheless, this is the argument that is set forth very often. Now, among those Christians who disagree with the idea of extraterrestrial life, uh, it's pointed out very often that when you go to the Genesis account, who did God create first? What was the noblest part of God's creation? Did God create the earth first or all the other planets first? The earth. God created the earth first. And earth remains central throughout the rest of biblical doctrine. Uh, For example... In the future, in the prophetic future, the scriptures tell us that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. When the Redeemer came, where did he come? He came to planet Earth. When he comes again at the second coming, he's coming to planet Earth. So it seems for whatever reason that planet Earth is central in God's plan. And even if you still want to believe in extraterrestrial life, you have to admit from a scriptural perspective that Earth is central in God's plan. Now, we also learn from Scripture that man was created in the image of God. Man is the noblest part of God's creation. But how often do we see TV shows where the aliens are always far more advanced than we puny humans? You see, typically the the aliens are just far more advanced technologically and in every other way. But the Scriptures indicate that man is the noblest part of God's creation, and only man is said to be created in the image of God. So I think that those are some of the kinds of scriptural things that you're going to want to keep in mind when you evaluate the question of whether there's extraterrestrial life out there. I know what you're wondering. You're thinking to yourself, well, Ron, if uh, God didn't plan to populate all those planets out there, why did he create them all? Isn't that what you were thinking? I can see it on your faces. Well, let me give you the answer. The scriptures indicate in Psalm 19, that God created all of it as a testimony to him. You see, all the stars serve to glorify Jesus Christ, the creator. Now, scientists tell us that if you go outside at night and you look straight up, you can see about 4,000 stars with the unaided eye. Of course, here in Southern California, if you go outside and look straight up, you'll see maybe 40 stars at best. But in most parts of the country where there's not such heavy pollution, you can see about 4,000 stars. And with a telescope, with a powerful telescope, 
you can see a million, billion, billion, there's more stars out there than there are grains of sand on planet Earth. Now, I don't know how they know that, but that's what they say. That's a lot of stars. I'll tell you something. Jesus Christ created it all. And here's some good news. If you should be in a part of the country where you can see 4,000 stars, and you look straight up one day, and you see all this glory in the sky, well, let me tell you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus Christ is the one who created it. But he is the same one who's preparing the place where you will live forever. John 14 tells us that Christ is preparing the place where you will live. And if you think those stars are incredible, wait till you for those who love him. I could get to preaching on that topic, but I'll hold back. It's an exciting topic. But anyway, the stars serve to glorify the creator. Now, I believe that there are three primary explanations for UFO sightings. And I just want to touch on those briefly. Those relate to deliberate hoaxes, natural phenomena, and there is also the occult connection. Now, by deliberate hoaxes, I'm talking about doctored photographs or doctored videos. Some of you have seen some of these photographs. It kind of looks like a flying saucer. But when a computer analysis is done on that photograph, it looks like a string attached to a Frisbee. All right? That's a hoax. I saw a cartoon one time of uh, a flying saucer hovering above a community, and all these people were out there pointing up at the sky. And uh, behind these trees were some MIT students with this little control thing they came up with. Well, deliberate hoaxes. There are people out there that get a thrill at pulling hoaxes on people, and they've done the same thing with videos. Uh, so that's part of what explains the UFO phenomena, but I don't want to really spend much time there. I want to spend primary time on natural phenomena and the occultic connection because this is where we need discernment. Uh, in terms of natural phenomena, let me just give you a brief explanation of that, then I'll talk more about it in just a minute. Uh, there I'm talking about stuff like satellites or maybe weather balloons uh, or, or the planet Venus. Uh, planet Venus even shows up during the daytime. You can look up into the sky and see this bright object up there, and some people have called in UFO reports after seeing the planet Venus. This is what I call natural phenomena. And as I say, we will talk about this in more detail shortly. And then third is the occult connection. The occult connection. Now, the fact is, is that out of all the cases of abduction that I have studied, uh, the great majority of them claim to have some kind of a previous involvement in the occult. Now, I wonder, how many of you have read books on abductions? Whitley Strieber, Communion, okay, a couple of you have. I guess it's probably healthier that you not read those books. You might have nightmares. But typically what they say happens is this. These people say that they'll be sleeping right in the middle of the night, and then against their will, they are abducted by these aliens. And these aliens have some kind of a mystical power where you're rendered helpless. You cannot resist. And you're taken up into a spaceship. And while you're up in the spaceship, all kinds of experiments are performed on you. Uh, some people say they are dismembered and then put back together again. Some people say that the aliens sort of do like a piano motion on their bodies, kind of like this. These aliens just go up and down their body, making these kinds of motions. I'm not sure why. And uh, typically, they'll also report what they call a mind scan, which sounds kind of scary. And what this is is, Allegedly, the alien comes very close to your mind, to your brain, 
and reads your mind and starts to plant thoughts there and gives you new revelations and even gives you new psychic powers and new occultic powers. Very often people who end up having these experiences go home and discover that they've had new occultic powers develop. I need to tell you right up front, I don't think that they're really being abducted by aliens. By the time I'm through today, you'll understand why I say that. But I need to add that qualification up front just to let you know that I really don't think that they're real, genuine aliens. And I'm going to provide some proof for that. Now, I believe that all three of these categories are necessary for a fuller understanding of what UFOs are doing in our society today. Now, when you, when you understand these three primary categories, it's my opinion that that explains the, the majority of the sightings that people are having today. No single category explains everything. But taken together, the three categories go a long way in helping us to understand what's going on out there. Now then, let's look a little bit more at the natural explanations. The natural explanations of UFOs include weather balloons, satellites, Venus, ball lightning, and top-secret military jets. Now, if you see something in the sky, there are many possible natural explanations. In fact, when you see something in the sky, the first conclusion you should probably come to is that there is a natural explanation. Now, let me just give you a couple of examples. There's this thing called ball lightning. Ball lightning is a real phenomenon. Ball lightning is not something that Ron Rhodes made up just to stick in his book on UFOs. Ball lightning is something that has been discovered by scientists. And it is a form of lightning that involves not lightning bolts that come out of the sky, but rather this form of lightning is oval in shape. It's red. It's heard to sizzle. It emits electromagnetic energy, which means that it shows up on radar screens. It can hover above the ground, or it can dart around the sky at great speeds, instantly changing direction, going thousands of miles per hour. Because of the electromagnetic energy that is emitted, if it comes near a car, your car will die. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that there are people out there who have seen manifestations of ball lightning, and they've called in UFO reports saying that they've seen aliens. Now, this is just one possible natural explanation. Now, of course, from our limited perspective, from our limited scientific understanding, we might see something like that and assume that it must be a spaceship of some sort. But scientists have now discovered that there is a form of lightning called ball lightning that does account for many UFO sightings. Well, how about birds? Do you think that birds could ever account for some of this stuff? In fact, there have been a number of sightings of birds that accounts for some UFO sightings or reports. What I'm referring to is that birds migrate at night. There are certain birds that migrate at night that have been exposed to phosphorus dust. This is dust that glows in the dark. And there have been people who have called in reports of seeing like hundreds of little flying saucers going above their community. And they've ended up discovering that these are just birds that have been exposed to phosphorus dust. So they've got a little bit of a glow. Now, some of you are laughing out there, and I'm assuring you that this is actually happening out there. There are people who have actually called in UFO reports after seeing some of this kind of stuff. What about some of the junk in outer space? Did you know that there's over 7,000 objects presently floating around in outer space? 
you heard it here at this church, 7,000 objects. Sometimes it might be just a glove from an astronaut. It might be a screwdriver. It might be a Coke bottle cap or, or, or something else. There's just all kinds of junk floating around planet Earth. And a lot of scientists suggest that if the sun hits any of those objects just in the right way, you might think you're seeing something up there. Okay? What about the military? Is it possible that some of the stuff that we're seeing is military? Well, yes, indeed. As a matter of fact, back in the 50s and 60s, the military was working on hovercrafts. These looked like flying saucers, and they could kind of hover above the ground, and they wobbled a lot, and they were testing these things in the Washington area, and uh, a lot of people called in reports of, uh, of a flying saucer after seeing this thing. Now, it really didn't look very threatening. I mean, this thing was just kind of wobbling along above the ground. The military never did perfect the thing. But back in the 50s and 60s, uh, this is something that accounted for at least some sighting. There have also been uh, military top-secret flights that have uh, uh, involved top-secret military planes. And, of course, the government doesn't want the general public to know about these planes, and so they never broadcast uh, all the stuff that they have. But the fact is, is that just recently, I'm talking in the last couple of years, the CIA has admitted that a tremendous number of the sightings of UFOs back in the 50s and 60s involved top-secret U.S. aircraft that were used to spy on the Russians and other threatening world powers. And of course, back in those days, the government denied that it knew anything about those things up in the sky because they didn't want to give away any information on these top-secret aircraft. But just recently, the CIA has admitted it. Did you know also that the military has been involved in some holographic experiments? Now, I wonder how many of you have been to Disneyland or Disney World and you've seen some of the holograms, like faces coming out of the wall at you. Anybody seen those things? They look real, don't they? I mean, they're pretty impressive. One of the things that the military has been working on, and this is documented, uh, is the fact that they are trying to work on how to project three-dimensional holographic images into the sky as a form of non-lethal weaponry. The idea being is that if enemy aircraft come into U.S. airspace, they could project these images up there and confuse the enemy, like a bunch of aircraft coming at you or something. Well, some people have seen some of these holographic experiments and called in reports. Now, all I'm trying to tell you at this point is there's all kinds of stuff going on out there that could account for some of the sightings from a natural perspective. There's just an awful lot of stuff going on out there that can account for UFO sightings. Uh, but beyond that, there's also other things that need to be taken into consideration, and that's what I want to focus my attention on now. Now, before dealing with this occultic connection, there's something very important that I must touch on, and that has to do with UFOs in the Bible. Uh, did you know that there's flying saucers and aliens in the Bible? That's what New Agers tell us. And I want to look at a couple of passages with you. The first one is in Exodus 19, and if you have your Bible, you might want to flip open. That's Exodus 19, verses 16 through 20. And as you listen to me read this, be thinking about the movie Independence Day. Okay? Now just listen. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. 
Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Well, it sounds kind of like Independence Day. I mean, you see these clouds coming into the atmosphere, and there's a fire within the clouds. And as it pulls into New York City, I mean, all the buildings seem to be trembling because of the tremendous uh, mass of these huge alien spaceships. And so today there are New Agers who would tell us that uh, what Moses actually saw was an alien spacecraft coming down on Mount Sinai, but it was so glorious that he thought it was God. Okay? This is what we are told. Now, I read these books. I want you to know that I've read many books by New Agers on this issue, and they actually believe this. When we hear this kind of stuff, we think it sounds kind of nuts. But there are actually people out there who hold to these kinds of ideas. Now, uh, back some years ago, there was a guy by the name of Eric Von Daniken who wrote a book called Chariots of the Gods. You might remember the book. And uh, he held to this theory that Exodus 19 is talking about aliens. And in fact, he went a little bit further with the idea. Not only did Moses see an alien spacecraft, but the aliens gave him a radio transmitter called the Ark of the Covenant. Yep. And you might remember when Moses was at the Red Sea and the Egyptians were attacking from the rear flank, boy, they needed to cross that Red Sea desperately. How were they going to do it? Well, Moses called the aliens on this Ark of the Covenant radio transmitter, and this alien spacecraft swooped down and then pointed the tailpipe right at the Red Sea and revved up the engines, and it blew a path open in the Red Sea. Then all the Israelites, two million of them, passed. Now, you know, when you think about that theory, there's a major flaw in it, isn't there? I mean, to keep that path open, that thing would have to keep that engine revved up and just roast everybody that's, that's going through. I don't think they've thought this thing through too carefully, but this is the theory. Well, there's another passage that I'm sure you've heard of referring to UFOs, allegedly, and that's Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. Now, again, you need to think Independence Day as you listen to this passage. Let me read it to you. I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning, and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. Well, loosely, I suppose that might sound a little bit like Independence Day, but when you go to the context, especially verse 1, which sets the context, it says that Ezekiel was seeing a vision from God. And yes, there are living creatures mentioned, but if you continue reading in Ezekiel, what we are told is that these are angels. These are cherubim angels. These are not aliens. And the revelation that came was from God to the sinful Israelites. It was not revelation from aliens to a New Age civilization. So New Agers are reading something into this text that is simply not there. Now, folks, it gets worse. Once these New Agers get a hold of the New Testament, uh, they come up with all kinds of crazy ideas regarding Jesus Christ. In fact, we are told that an alien intermarried with Mary, and Jesus was half alien. Have you ever wondered why Jesus could walk on water? Have you ever wondered why Jesus could control the weather? Have you ever wondered why Jesus could uh, do all kinds of miracles? 
Well, according to New Agers, he was half alien. And so he had alien powers to be able to do some of this kind of stuff. Now, when Jesus was born, it wasn't a star up in the atmosphere that led the Magi to Jesus. It was an alien spacecraft hovering up in the atmosphere. We are also told that at the baptism, it was not the Holy Spirit that came down upon Jesus. Rather, it was an energy discharge from an alien spacecraft up in the atmosphere. And you remember when Jesus ascended up into heaven? Well, an alien spacecraft came down and picked him up and took him up into heaven. Now, again, when we hear this kind of stuff, we think it's wacky. But there are New Agers out there by the hundreds of thousands who actually believe in it. The New Agers also tell us that there's coming a time in the future, in the end times, when there will be a rapture. And here's what they say. There's coming a time when UFOs are going to swoop down out of the atmosphere and take away 10% of Earth's population. And you know who that's going to be? The troublemakers. You intolerant Christians, you troublemakers will be removed from planet Earth by these aliens, and then you will be re-educated on a new other planet, on a completely different planet. And once you've been re-educated, you'll be brought back to Earth when you can enter into a new age society as an enlightened person. All right, this is one of the scenarios that new agers offer. Now, we don't know when the rapture is going to happen. It doesn't matter whether you're a post-trib or pre-trib or whatever you are. We don't know when it's going to happen. But what's interesting is that whenever it does happen, the New Agers have an explanation in place that will give credit to UFOs drawing attention away from Christ and towards occultic elements that we'll talk about in just a minute. Now, of course, if we read the Bible the way that it's intended to be read, by just letting the Bible speak for itself, we would never come up with this kind of stuff, would we? Or would we? Are you with me? Can anybody say amen? All right. <laughs> if you read the Bible the way it was intended to be understood, you wouldn't get this kind of stuff. For example, the Ark of the Covenant is described in Exodus 25. And you don't see any transistors in there. Okay? What you see is Aaron's rod and covenant stones and a pot of manna. Uh, when you're talking about the Red Sea, this was no little tailpipe. What we're talking about is a huge, huge displacement of water that opened a path for two million Israelites to cross. Folks, we're talking about a major miracle of God. A major miracle of God. In terms of the virgin birth, Jesus wasn't half alien. He was God. God stepped out of eternity into the womb of Mary and was born through her womb. In terms of Jesus' miracles, he wasn't half alien. He did miracles because he was God. Ezekiel did not see aliens. He was getting a vision from God. Now let me just pause and make an observation for you in passing. I'm just going to throw this in for free. You don't have to pay for this. Of course, you don't have to pay for any of it. We know that Satan wants to deceive us, don't we? Satan wants to deceive us. I wonder, could it be that Satan himself is behind this counterfeit Jesus and this counterfeit rapture and this counterfeit theology that has come out of the UFO movement. Could it be that Satan is using this as a tool of keeping people away from the true Christ of Scripture? I think that that's not only possible, but it's probable. And as I shift my attention to the occult, 
I think that you will now begin to see that there's even a stronger possibility of that. Now, I'm going to quickly shift to Section 7 in your outline. And that is this. New Agers have made a religion out of the UFO phenomenon and through various occultic means are claiming to receive revelations from Space Brothers, including revelations regarding the end times and the UFO rapture. Now, I've just talked to you about the rapture, but let me now talk to you about the revelations. New Agers believe that they are receiving revelations from these people, these, these space brothers, aboard UFO spacecrafts. And in fact, there are advertisements that you might come across from time to time in New Age magazine where channelers actually advertise saying that they're in contact with aliens and for a mere $400 per hour, they will give you wisdom from aliens on your relationships or your job or whatever else you need insight on. And the fact is, is that when you look at the content of these revelations, one thing that you start to notice is that they are always pro-New Age, pro-occult, but anti-Christian. You see, now that should be a red flag for you. You should start to think to yourself, you know, what's not right about this picture? For example, these revelations will often include the idea that the Bible is not the Word of God. It will often include the idea that Jesus is not God. In fact, Jesus is one of us aliens. Uh, man is not a sinner. Man does not need redemption from sin. There is no hell. In fact, the aliens tell us that hell is just a, a misunderstanding. It was just a big misunderstanding. What they will tell you is that way long ago, some aliens visited planet Earth and they had a picture of Venus. You know, and Venus, as you well know, is 700 degrees. It's really hot, flaming inferno. And these ancient people on earth mistook it for hell. And that's where the idea of hell came from. But hell is not real. And so since hell is not real, we don't have to worry about needing to be redeemed. And does that raise a red flag in your mind? Does that sound like something that might possibly come from the pit of hell to deceive people away from the true Christ of Scripture? I think so. I think that's exactly what's going on. You need to keep in mind the scriptural background of how great a, a counterfeit Satan is. As a matter of fact, Augustine once called Satan the ape of God. Do you know why? If you go to the zoo, sometimes people do things when they're looking at the apes and they're trying to get them to mimic uh, you in your actions. And sometimes the apes will go along with you and they'll try to copy your behavior. Well, aping is a metaphor. Satan as the ape of God is a copycat of God. And scripture tells us that Satan has his own church. It's called the synagogue of Satan. Scripture tells us that he has his own ministers of darkness. He has his own doctrines of demons, according to 1 Timothy 4. He has his own false prophets. He has his own false Christs. He has another gospel, according to the apostle Paul. He has his own rapture. Do you see where I'm going with this? Satan is the ape of God, and I believe that as the ape of God, he may be the one that is behind these counterfeit doctrines that are coming out of the UFO movement. Now let me talk a little bit more about this occultic connection, particularly as related to abduction experiences. Many people who claim to have been abducted by aliens today have a previous involvement in some form of the occult. 
For example, I think of Mary. This is a person that I studied. Mary was into Zen Buddhism. And she had been practicing Zen Buddhism for some time. And then all of a sudden, one night, uh, she claims that aliens showed up in her bedroom and took her up into this alien spacecraft. And according to Mary's own testimony, uh, she was impregnated by aliens and then re-abducted three months later and the fetus was removed. Now, this is crazy stuff. This is crazy stuff. But this is what Mary claimed. She has an occultic background and had an experience. And after her experience, she developed new occultic powers and new psychic powers. Or how about John? John was an avid follower of the occultist Carlos Castaneda. Okay, he, he's the one that wrote a lot about the life force, and his uh, book sold millions of copies. And uh, John suddenly found himself being abducted after spending maybe seven or eight years following the writings of Carlos Castaneda. Or how about Fred? Fred was into spiritualism, contact with the dead. Uh, the modern counterpart today is channeling. Fred had been into this for some time when all of a sudden she had this abduction experience. Or I could talk to you about Sally. Uh, Sally studied the paranormal. She studied ghosts and poltergeist phenomena. She studied ESP, and she was in all, all of this kind of stuff that has to do with the power of the mind and how to change reality by the power of the mind. Well, Sally ended up having an abduction experience. How about Whitley Strieber? Uh, I bet you some of you read his book, Communion. Anyone? Four. Good. You shouldn't read it. It's not, a, it's not a good book. But it was the number one bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list. Now, he was into occultism as well, and he ended up having an abduction experience. Now, I want to read you an excerpt from his book that talks about this. And just listen to this and see if you can sense the darkness in what happened to him. I felt an absolutely indescribable sense of menace. It was hell on earth to be there, and yet I couldn't move. I couldn't cry out, and I couldn't get away. I lay as still as death, suffering in her agonies. Whatever was there seemed so monstrously ugly, so filthy, so dark and sinister. Of course they were demons. They had to be, and they were here, and I couldn't get away. I couldn't save my poor family, and I still remember that thing crouching there, so terribly ugly, its arms and legs like limbs of a great insect, its eyes just glaring at me. Later, he referred to these alien intruders as soul eaters, soul predators. Can you sense the demonic here? Can you sense the darkness in these kinds of encounters? Now, people watch the X-Files, and I think it's a great thing. But you know, a lot of people don't recognize that in many, many cases, there is an occultic connection that is absolutely horrible. Now, start putting two and two together. Typically, it is people involved in the occult that get abducted. And people who experience these things typically develop new psychic powers and new occultic powers. And very often, uh, there are revelations that come from these alien entities that are anti-Christian and pro-New Age. Not only that, we are consistently given counterfeit reinterpretations of Scripture. We are given a counterfeit way of salvation. 
a counterfeit Jesus, a counterfeit rapture, and the counterfeits just continue. You start putting all this data together, and you can start to sense an evil intention here. I personally am convinced that in many cases, a lot of what these people are experiencing, these people who have been involved in the occult, is in fact demonic in nature. And that's what my conclusion is. If you look at point number nine, we must conclude that while many UFO sightings are rooted in natural phenomena, there is also an occultic element in the New Age movement that accounts for some of the strange alien experiences people are having. And the presence of the demonic seems very, very clear. Uh, There's a couple of other points related to this that I want to make to you. And to begin with, uh, these aliens, these ones that are involved with uh, New Agers, so to speak, you can't contact them with radios. Uh, you can only contact them with seances or out-of-body experiences. You know, we talked about occultism earlier today. You can't contact these aliens with natural means like radios. You can only contact them by occultic means. Not only that, but there's a secular scientist by the name of Jacques Vallée, some of you may have actually heard about him. Uh, has anybody seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Steven Spielberg's movie? Oh, come on, more of you saw it. How many? Okay, good. That's a movie that uh, probably most of the world has seen, and you might remember a French scientist in this movie. And this French scientist is actually based upon a real-life person, and the real-life person is Jacques Vallée. Now, Jacques Vallée has studied over a 1,000 specific UFO sightings. And he's actually talked to every one of these people individually. He's gone to Russia. He's gone to Europe. He's gone to the United States and just about everywhere else talking to people about these encounters. And here's something very significant that he discovered. He discovered that these entities, these sightings, whatever they are, do not seem to be coming from outer space. Rather, he says, based upon the eyewitness testimony that he has accumulated, these things seem to be coming from a dimension all around us. They seem to appear from a realm around us, and then after appearing for a short time, they often seem to disappear back into that same realm. Now, Jacques Vallée is not a Christian. He is not a Christian. He does not have a Christian worldview. But I think that his discovery, his finding, is significant for the Christian worldview Because we as Christians do believe that there is a realm around us, which is a spiritual realm. And we do believe that Satan operates from that spiritual realm. And in fact, the scriptures indicate to us that Satan has the power to do lying wonders and lying miracles. They are always miracles designed to deceive people. He wants to keep people away from the true Christ of scripture. And I think that what Jacques Vallée has discovered basically puts an exclamation point on the fact that there there is this demonic element here. Now, do you remember the book Chariots of the Gods with Eric Von Doniken that I mentioned just a few moments ago? Well, I did some digging on this guy. He's this guy that talked about how the Ark of the Covenant was a radio transmitter used by Moses. I did some digging, and even though it's not commonly known, even though most people are unaware of this, I discovered that, in fact, this guy was involved in the occult. In fact, if you read some stuff that he wrote many, many years ago, 
you will discover that he claims to have been involved in out-of-body experiences, which is something pretty typical among those involved in the occult. This is the idea that your spirit actually leaves your body and can go around into outer space and even talk to aliens aboard spacecrafts out there. So I believe that where Eric Von Donneken is coming from is an occultic worldview. And in fact, the, the source of some of the ideas that he set forth in his book that sold 54 million copies came from the powers of darkness. What can we conclude? What can I leave with you today as I close? Well, there's a verse I want you to mark down, and that's 1 John 4.1. 1 John 4.1. This verse tells us, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, what happens when we test the spirits in regard to these aliens? What do we discover? Well, for one thing, the aliens never say anything that affirms the Bible. They never say anything that glorifies the person of Jesus Christ. They deny man's sin problem and the need for redemption. They deny that Christ did anything for man's salvation, but say that Christ was one of them. They offer a counterfeit salvation and a counterfeit rapture. Typically, it's people involved in the occult that have these experiences, and these people end up with new psychic powers. Now, are you starting to get the picture here? When you test the spirits, the aliens fail the test. The aliens fail the test. And so what I want to do is just leave you five small, short tidbits of advice. These are tidbits of discernment. They're not long. We'll be done in just a couple of minutes. But they're just five tidbits of advice that you can mark down in terms of discernment. Number one. You should follow the Apostle Paul's advice and test all things against Scripture. That's what we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5. Check out verses 18 through 21. Test all things against Scripture. If a UFO enthusiast takes a verse out of context in your presence, you need to be ready to set him straight. And you've got to go tell him. You need to read Ron Rhodes' book, Alien Obsession, available at the book table. Do you like the way I split that in? I thought that was creative. Number two, you need to be discerning when you're watching cable television shows on UFOs. Now, I can tell you, folks, some of these shows that you see on cable television, they look really, really convincing. They look really convincing that the aliens are real. But you need to remember something that Solomon himself said back in the Old Testament. Keep in mind that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And Solomon said, the first to present his case seems right until another comes forward and questions him. When you look at some of these cable TV shows, they might give a very convincing case. But when somebody who's examined the evidence steps forward and starts to poke holes in the theory with hard-hitting questions, then you can, you can take another look and start to discern what's really going on here. It's not near so airtight as they would have you to believe. Number three, you need to beware of the occultic connection. Beware of the occultic connection with UFOs that believe in the occult. And on the other hand, it's no longer biblically or, or politically correct to call anybody a cultist. Have you seen the way things have kind of turned around in our society? We can't call them cultists anymore. We have to call them biblically challenged. 
Or maybe doctrinally impaired. You see, can't call them cultists. Beware of the occultic connection and keep in, where, uh, in your mind what God himself has said in Deuteronomy 18. He condemns all forms of occultism. Stay away from it. That also includes stuff like astrology, Ouija boards. You know, Christians should not be into any of that kind of stuff. Number four, beware of how Satan may use the UFO movement to draw people away from Christ. Beware of how Satan may use the UFO movement to draw people away from Christ. I think that I've shown you today that uh, that, in fact, is happening within the confines of the New Age movement. And then more generally, be ready to demonstrate to non-Christian UFO enthusiasts what you've learned today so that you can use it as a platform to lead them to Jesus Christ. Now, that's the goal, isn't it? We don't come here to these kinds of conferences just to get knowledge and to cram our brains more full of stuff. If that's where it stops, then it's not that useful. But if you come into contact with a new ager, and you probably will at some point, you can have some information that you can share with them. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have formal training in apologetics to be able to witness to these people. But by being aware of some of the stuff that we've talked about today, God might bless you with the opportunity to lead one of these people in the New Age movement to the true Jesus, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if they do join the kingdom of light, they will witness the real second coming of Christ, which every eye will see. God bless you. So, yeah, I found that to be pretty informative. Uh, I think that these guys are trying to do the right thing. Um, and I agree with everything that they said, but that's okay. Overall, it's it pretty good information. So, And uh, in particular, when you're talking about aliens and all that, and uh, the connection with the New Age movement, and I can tell you from my own personal experience, um, and that seems to be the case, and um, it's definitely not a road to go down or to entertain too much with. Um, most of what's out there is just bunk anyways. It's just uh, nonsense. So, Anyways, we'll go back to this article. And you can find, by the way, that audio from, it's called uh, www.thecenters. That's with an S at the end of it, so it's T-H-E-C-E-N-T-E-R-S dot org. Look under um, the audio. It has some interesting lectures. Might even play another one this evening. Um, and they deal with, in particular, um, the occult movement in uh, Christianity. There's many different forms. So whether it's Mormonism or... If it's Jehovah Witness or it's, um, well, even Seventh-day Adventists and, or, uh, I don't know how much to do with actually Rome. It seems like most people don't want to touch that. But we will here, because so, we recognize that the Roman Catholic Church is the uh, granddaddy of them all. 
of uh, cults. So, anyways, back to this article of uh, the Great Nephilim Deception. We're now on the topic of giants. Giants. Some will insist in arguing that the giants to whom the Bible refers to, uh, some of whom were 12 to 14 feet tall, could only have been produced by a genetic experimentation or the introduction of non-human genetic material. But this is not correct. We know from extensive experience um, in animal husbandry that the genome for each species contains an astonishing range of expression. The same genome that produces a great Dane that's 120 pounds can also produce a chinchilla. Uh, that's chin, that chinchilla. Uh, chihuahua, excuse me, chinchilla. <laughs> That would be pretty amazing if we could produce a chihuahua. But a chihuahua, that's 10 pounds. Uh, the same genome that produces the uh, Britannia uh, pitta, a two-pound rabbit, can also produce the continental giant of 14 pounds. The same genome that produces the Anglian saddleback of 700-pound pig can also produce the the Choctaw hog of 130 pounds. The same genome that produces a uh, Clydesdale of 2,000 pounds uh, can also produce a, a Shetland pony uh, of 450 pounds. Many more examples could be given. This phenomenon is universal and undoubtedly applies to humans as well. However, such uh, disparities tend not to occur in practice because we do not choose a partner in life in order to amplify a certain physical characteristic in our children. On the other hand, if members of an enslaved population had been um, obliged by its tyrannical overlords to select their mates on that basis, it would probably have taken only 10 to 15 generations to produce offspring, which in adulthood attain a height of 12 feet or more. <laughs> this may actually have uh, happened in Canaan between 2000 B.C. and 1450 B.C. If, powerful group, if a powerful group of fallen angels had taken possession of tribal leaders and the region, perhaps by exploiting their obsession with occult practices, including infant sacrifices and bestiality, and compelled them to carry out such a breeding program, they could have populated the land with a race of giants. Given that Satan would have known by 2000 B.C. or thereabout that the Lord intended to locate his chosen people in the same territory, he would have had 
ample incentive to implement such a cruel and perverted strategy ample time over 500 years to carry it out. As it transpired, the children of Israel refused initially to enter the promised land precisely because they are frightened by the size of its inhabitants. The Nephilim Circus. Many years of a troop of Bible experts have been traveling from one Bible prophecy conference to another purporting to have a special understanding of the Nephilim and the coming UFO invasion. Missler, Horn, and Marzulli, Marzulli, excuse me, are frequent speakers at these events, along with many other regulars. Clearly, the, the concerted effort, clearly a concerted effort, is being made by the powers that be to spread the Nephilim lie among many Christians as possible. These events are endorsed by a number of Christian discernment websites, the very people who should be warning uh, unsuspecting believers of the Nephilim deception. Any born-again Christian who truly cares about the Word of God ought to be extremely wary of an author or self-proclaimed expert who has participated in one of these conferences or has spoken approvably, approvingly excuse me, about them. The speakers at both the Pikes Peak Prophecy Conference in July 2013 and the Prophecy Summit Branson, Missouri in 2012 are given in Appendix A. We should also be wary of any author or self-proclaimed expert who formally associates himself with the Missler uh, franchise. The list of regions uh, at the, I never can say his name of this uh, institute, but I'll try it again, uh, Coin. Nonia, Kononia, that's C, excuse me, is K O I N O N I A Institute, Kononia, uh, Kononia, something like that. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but Missler's Bible College is a valuable resource in this regard. See Appendix B. Uh, these repart- remarks apply also to respected Christian authors such as Jacob uh, Prash, P-R-A-S-C-H, who has inexplicably endorsed the Nephilim theory, Appendix C. (coughs) Excuse me, conclusion. In our experience, anyone who has come to believe in the Nephilim theory has a hard time breaking free of it. It seems to be addictive, as the best lies often are. The Christian community today has an ever-increasing population of Nephilim junkies, believers who will believe almost anything and yet have great difficulty trusting completely in the sufficiency and inherency or inherency of God's Word. Excuse me. They uh, race after every new thing, uh, 
seeking thrills and excitement, hoping the clowns who perform at the latest event on the Nephilim circuit will have yet another new wonder to impart. While there is no antidote for Christians who reject God's word, <coughs> it may help to reflect on the old aphorism that if it is true, it ain't new, and if it's new, it ain't true. Finally, we are greatly concerned with or that Chuck Missler can continue to profess his allegiance to Orthodox Christianity and yet actively promote one of the most subversive anti-Christian doctrines in vogue today. The Nephilim theory fits comfortably with a Masonic, uh, Masonic, excuse me, agenda. The Marxist emphasis on technology and social control and the new age fusion of religion and physics. It also advances the stated goal of the new world order to unite all nations against a common enemy. Christians who love God's word cannot afford to ignore the threat of this venomous lie and now posing as opposing to biblical Christianity. They need to understand the lie, the people behind it, and the sinister and its sinister purpose. And uh, once again, this was Jeremy James Ireland, December fourth, two thousand thirteen. Um, and I couldn't remember earlier if it was a man or a woman, but now we know it's a man who wrote this article. <laughs> and so, where do we go from here? Because mm-hmm. there's plenty of things to do. Plenty of things. To... There's a very long article here. Um, called, uh, and maybe we'll do this on uh, another show. We're going to pound this up. We're going to get it into the people's head that they should completely and utterly avoid this um, scheme, this deception called the Nephilim thing and the giant thing and all that kind of stuff. So, I think what I want to do, um, it's because you know, I am struggling with my speaking, I will go back to CFAR, the International uh, Counter Cult Ministries. Um, I still can't figure out what CFAR stands for. That's not their fault. That is my fault. Um, it says that it is a Christian organization that follows these statements of faith that have accepted the Christian Set by Christian around the world. See below, contemporary. Okay. Certainly, there should be a, an explanation for it, but so far I have not been able to find that name. Why it's it's called C F A R. Oh, here we go. Centers for Apologistics Research. That's what it is. So C. F-A-R stands for Center for Apologistics Research. Duh. 
makes logical sense. So anyways, what I was thinking on doing, because um, I really don't feel like reading, um, but uh, I haven't even listened to this audio, but so far the audios I have listened to, outside of maybe their perspective on the rapture, uh, which, you know, I find that there's a lot of folks have different opinions about it. Of course, for me, for my studies and research, it all comes from the Jesuits, and that there will be no actual rapture. And of course, there's the day of, you know, when the Lord comes, and there will be the resurrection. But um, it's uh, neither here or there. Anyways, it might be interesting to listen to this. Uh, hopefully, I'm making a, uh, a choice that will be beneficial for all of those listening to this. It's called The Culting of America. The challenge of discernment. Um, is either that, or we could do something else? But I think we're going to try this. So far, all the audios that I've heard uh, from these gentlemen or these folks um, are pretty solid. And you know, one of the things that I am concerned about greatly is the fact that uh, how there are so many cults in this country. And I really feel if you look from whether it's the uh, Roman Catholic Church or anyone else, that's what we're really dealing with. We're dealing with uh, uh, false doctrines. We're dealing with uh, a whole bunch of deception and lies. Or basically, organized religion. And, um, and and if we don't figure out a way to get back to the simple truths of the teachings of Christ, and that it's saved by grace through faith, in Jesus Christ, and that there is nothing that we can do beyond that. I know that seems so simplistic and uh, almost childish, but I guess that's what the Lord wants. And in the end, you know, what can we do? It's that brutal realization to realize you can't do much of anything. So, anyways, let's try to listen to this next one. Let's see where it goes. Hopefully it doesn't go too far off track. <clears throat> the cat there in the way. So let's see. Maybe we can bounce out of that, go there, and let's see what happens. All right. others don't as uh, the years go by and one of the interesting things about Ron is that he's a real software junkie I don't know anybody that goes through as much software as Ron Rhodes this guy has multiple email programs multiple spreadsheets multiple, multiple databases multiple word processors and that's just for one operating system. And then for another operating system, he has other programs. He knows how to program himself and write scripts. And I'm sure before I go too much further, I'll leave the rest of us wondering, is this English? And that's just part of Ron. Another part of Ron is he loves music. He's very talented. He can play instruments. He can sing. I can do neither. I go to Ron for my software questions. I'm 
trying to figure out the very basics of a new email program that I'm trying because because of his advice and uh, I can't hardly get it kick started but uh, Ron knows it inside and out he's probably on another one already that I don't know about so that's my brother Ron and uh, he's one of our board members and I am thankful for his life I thank God for him and I would like you to thank him with a, another round of applause come on up Ron Thanks, Rich. Just give me a call. I'll help you with that program. You know, he mentioned music. I actually met Jesus in the music industry. Isn't that something? Didn't meet Jesus in the church, but I met Jesus in the show business industry. I remember visiting a church one time, and this church was a church that uh, a friend of Carrie and mine invited us to, a mutual friend of ours, and so we went to this church, and uh, the, the head of the education department was teaching. And uh, this guy got up there and said, you know, he got, went into sort of a new age message to this group of individuals and said that all religions are like spokes on a wheel. You ever heard that? All religions are like spokes on a wheel. And then he went into about a half hour of defense of this idea. So I raised my hand. Carrie starts to scoot away from me. Oh, no, here he goes again. She knew what was coming. And so I said, you know, in, in uh, John fourteen six, Jesus said that he's the only way to salvation. And in Acts four twelve, Peter said that there's no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved. And in First Peter, in First uh, Timothy 2, 5, we're told that there's one God and one mediator between man and God. And that's the person of Jesus, not Krishna or Buddha or, or anyone else, but just Jesus. Well, you could have heard a pin drop. I said it real lovingly, but you could have heard a pin drop. How dare a visitor challenge the head of the education department? I looked over at the teacher. The jaw was on the floor. I looked over at the students. Their jaws were all dropped wide open. I looked over at Carrie, and she had this look on her face that said, Ron, just give the word, and we'll run for it. But then this teacher looked at me and said, Ron, I feel sorry for you going through life so narrow-minded. Well, I almost quoted Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Narrow is the way. But I had decided by that time that I better keep my mouth shut. I was getting an elbow in the rib from Carrie. So. But anyway, uh, you know, that's really indicative of what's going on out there. That's not really that unique. There's a lot of churches teaching those same kinds of ideas. And uh, what we're talking about this evening in this closing session is the culting of America. Folks, we've got ourselves a major problem on our hands. And unfortunately, the great majority of Christians are unaware that we've got a problem. And uh, what I want to do tonight is to show you and to define for you just what the problem is and how you can play a role in being part of the solution. Now, if you have your outline before you, you'll notice that there is a little section on the growth of different groups like the Mormon Church and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the New Age Movement. I don't want to spend much time here because I think some of the messages we've already heard today uh, probably you've already driven home the point to you that these groups are growing quite rapidly. But let me just mention a few points to you. Did you know that the Mormons are spending over $550 million per year in its worldwide missionary efforts? You know, that breaks down to over $10 million a week. That's more than a lot of big companies spend, isn't it? 
And as a result of those efforts, they've got over 1,500 new members joining the church each and every day. Now, you've seen some of the commercials, right? Have you seen the commercials on TV? They're pretty good. They're pretty well done. But have you noticed that they never talk about their doctrine? They don't come on there and go, would you like to become a god ruling your own planet? Call 1-800-55. They don't do that. Instead, what they do is that they talk about American values, and they talk about the family unit, and they talk about another testament of Jesus Christ. And you call this number, and you can get a free video and a free Bible. Everyone, everybody wants free stuff, right? Of course, they don't tell you that it will be hand-delivered by two Mormon missionaries. But it has proven to be a very effective way of getting people into the church. Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses are growing rapidly, too. Did you know that there's over... Four and a half million Jehovah's Witnesses devoting more than one billion man-hours each year spreading their doctrines. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. And their literature alone is just going through the roof. We've had a few references to that earlier in the day, but let me just give you one example. They have a book called You Can Live Forever in Paradise on Earth, and they presently, up to, up to this past year, they've distributed over... 47 million copies of that one book. That's a lot of books, folks. I mean, when you measure that up against the New York Times bestsellers, this is way more than those bestsellers sell. Not only that, but the Watchtower magazine has a larger distribution than Newsweek, Time, U.S. News, and World Report combined. That's a lot, isn't it? This is the Watchtower Society. New Age movement is growing fast as well. In fact, one person called the New Age the fastest-growing alternative belief system in the country. And you know, I think they're probably right, but it's more of a fast-growing cancer. It's eating up Western culture. And unfortunately, just like there can be a person who is ignorant of the fact that there's a cancer in his body, he's unaware of it. So what we see happening in our own country is that a cancer, a spiritual cancer, is eating away at our country. And so many Christians are unaware of what's going on out there. That's why conferences like this are so important. That's why it's important to raise the awareness of what's going on. How many New Agers are there? That's hard to say. It's very hard to say. But when you look at uh, some statistics, at least we can get an inkling of how large the New Age movement is. For example, did you know that there's about 67% of American adults who have claimed to have a psychic experience this past year? 67%. That's a lot. 43% of teenagers today believe in extrasensory perception. About one in four Americans believes in precognition, which is the psychic ability to predict the future. One out of three Americans believe that fortune tellers can foresee the future. 30 million Americans believe in reincarnation. And Marilyn Ferguson once made the following statement. Sociologists at UC Santa Barbara estimate that as many 12 million Americans could be considered active participants in the New Age movement, and another 30 million are avidly interested. Well, I think that's a very conservative figure. I think it's a lot more than that. But you can see where I'm going with this, right? There's an awful lot of people involved in the cults today. That's why I do what I do. That's why you see Rich and Paul and some of the other individuals here doing what they do. There is a real need for it. Now, I want to spend the next couple of minutes talking about what I perceive to be reasons for cultic growth in America. And I want you to strap in your seatbelts. We're going to engage into Warp 9 right now. We've got a lot to cover, but I don't want to overwhelm you. I know that this has been a long day for some of you, 
It's been a long day for me, too. That's why I took off my jacket. I'm just going to make myself at home. Now, let's begin with the increase in biblical illiteracy. Folks, we've got ourselves a major problem in terms of biblical literacy in this country. Did you know that the current statistics indicate that 35% of all people claiming to be born again do not read the Bible at all? At all. Now, let's put that into real figures. If you have a church of 500 adult members, that means that 175 do not read the Bible at all. How about a mega church of 5,000 members? If you have a church of 5,000 members, this statistic would indicate that 1,750 of those members do not read the Bible at all. And of the people who do read the Bible, they primarily do it during the one hour of church that they attend each Sunday morning. Now, that spells disaster, doesn't it? You want to know why so many Christians are a spiritual wasteland today? You want to know why so many Christians are buying into cultic ideas? It's because of cultic illiteracy, biblical illiteracy. People are biblically ignorant to the degree that they're vulnerable to cultic ideas. Not only that, but today in a lot of churches, uh, doctrine is not emphasized that much. In fact, today's mindset is out with doctrine, in with practical answers. People want to learn about how to have a successful 1998 or how to raise your kids. And don't get me wrong. It's important that the church address those kinds of issues, but you can't address those issues to the exclusion of Bible doctrine. If you leave Bible doctrine out of the equation, you're inviting cultic intrusion. And the fact is, is that Scripture calls us to be biblically literate, and the Scriptures also call local churches to equip members to be biblically literate. So part of the reason for the cultic growth today is the church's fault. We haven't adequately trained church members. Now let me talk a little bit more about the failure of the Christian church. Now I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church out there. I think this church is doing some wonderful work. But on the average, there's a lot of church that uh, really aren't doing too much. Now did you know that a significant percentage of cultists formerly attended a Christian church? In fact, uh, Dr. Paul Martin, who is the director of the Wellspring Retreat and Resource Center, uh, has worked with many cultists through the years. He's interviewed what their previous backgrounds were, and he found that 25% of cultists formerly attended evangelical churches, 25%. And another 40% had backgrounds in the large, more liberal Protestant denominations. The church is doing something wrong here for that many people to leave the church and join up with the cult. We're doing something wrong. So what is it that we're doing wrong? Well, first of all, I think that if you examine things out there in the church today, you'll find that the church is failing to make a real moral difference in the lives of many of its members, a failure to make a moral difference. There was one study done by the Roper Organization that tested the behavior of born-again Christians before and after their conversion experiences, and the shocking result was that conversion made little difference in terms of moral behavior for many of these people. Now, it shouldn't be that way, should it? It really shouldn't be that way, but in fact, that's what we see happening. It's not play, taking place like it should today. Another failure of the church is the failure of providing a sense of belonging. The failure to provide a sense of belonging. Uh, there's a lot of large churches out there that don't make you feel like you're part of the family. And in fact, you may attend a smaller church where you're also experiencing that type of thing. You don't feel significant to some of the people who attend the church. By contrast, Cults make you feel like you're part of something special. You're a member of our family. We need you. 
We want you to stay with us. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people feel very comfortable in some of these cults. I also believe that the church has failed to meet some of people's deepest needs. You know, all of us have certain questions that we want addressed in life, don't we? Who am I? Why am I here? Uh, what is life all about? Does, is there a God, and does God have a plan for my life? And too often, the church does not address the answers to these questions. And when people are not getting answers to these questions, they look elsewhere for answers. And in fact, many people turn to these charismatic leaders of certain cults that seem to have black and white answers to lots of these problems. And so a lot of people latch on to these people in a search for the answers to life. And then finally, most important, I think churches have failed to make doctrine a high priority. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people today, a lot of churches today, that really have very little discussion of sin. Sin is not a politically correct idea today. A lot of churches don't address that issue. But you know, if you don't understand sin, how can you possibly understand the need for salvation? This is basic stuff, isn't it? Now again, that's not a problem with this church, but there's a lot of churches out there that are neglecting this. Did you know that interviews with a lot of Christians who attend churches indicate that many of them believe that you can get to heaven without believing in Jesus Christ? Now, if there's people in the church that believe that, can you understand why so many Americans that are outside the church could believe that? You see, the cultic mentality, the New Age mentality, is not just out there. It's in the church as well. It's penetrated many Christian churches, and that's of concern to me. Now, yet another reason for this cultic growth that we see relates to the explosion of relativism in our country. Today's mindset is this. It is the height of presumption to think that one knows the key truth for all people. On the other hand, it is the apex of love to allow others to have their own truth. Thou shalt not interfere with another's reality might be called the first commandment of New Age Revelation. How about values clarification? How many of you have kids in school? Okay, a couple of you. Good, I do too. Values clarification is a curriculum that has penetrated many school districts, and it teaches kids relativism. You don't have to base your truth on the Bible. You don't have to base your truth on what your parents say. You can come up with your own truth. I remember that there was a, a musical artist recently. I don't remember his name. Perhaps some of you can remind me. This artist wrote a song about values clarification. And in the first chapter, what was his name? Steve Taylor. Steve Taylor, that's right. The first uh, chorus or the first part of the song talks about how this teacher's teaching values clarification to the students. Well, by the uh, end of the song, all these students have the teacher up on their shoulder and they're heading for the window to throw her out the window. That's the value system they came up with using values clarification. And if truth is relative, who's to say that they were wrong? But what we've got today is America is engulfed in a sea of moral confusion. There's no white line down this highway. And when you have a highway with no white line down the middle, you've got a lot of casualties on that highway. And that's what we see happening in our country today from a religious perspective. Now, yet another reason for cultic growth, growth today relates to the disintegration of the family unit. And this may surprise you, but I think it's legitimate. Thank you. There must be a train near here. The disintegration of the family unit. 
In America today, typically, a family involves a father and a mother who both have to work in order to make ends meet. And uh, typically, they end up working more than 40 hours a week. And many of these parents have bought into the quality time myth, the quality time myth. In fact, most Americans, a whopping 9 out of 10, say that they do not view quantity of time spent with family members as important as the quality of time. See, it doesn't matter how much time you spend with your kids. What's important is that even if you've only got 10 minutes a day, make it quality time. And that's enough. But you know, it's not enough. In fact, kids spell the word love, T-I-M-E. Here's a very important point that I want to drive home to you. Instead of deriving values from their parents today, many children, many youth, are constructing their own values from what they learn in school, like from programs like values clarification. Uh, Do you see the importance of this? If parents do not spend sufficient time with their kids, there is no way to pass on to your kids values, and there's no way to pass on to your kids the doctrinal equipping that you should give your kids. And in a scenario like that, the kids go elsewhere to find their values, which is exactly what's happening today. The cults know that, and that's why a lot of the cults are going after young people. This is something that we as parents need to uh, be aware of. When you mix into the formula here, the scenario, that many of our kids today lack direction, we've got ourselves a recipe for disaster. Many of our kids and youth today have a pervasive lack of direction in their lives, and this makes them more vulnerable. When they see a charismatic leader come along that seems to have all the answers in life, It's very easy for those individuals to latch on and follow that cultic leader. And furthermore, related to what I said earlier, many of these cults actually function as surrogate families. They make you feel like you're a part of something special. And uh, that's something that has caused a lot of these cults, uh, cults to grow. Now, there's another thing I need to bring to your attention. It used to be that you could tell a cult by the way they dressed. You could tell just by having a funny hairdo or maybe a funny robe that they wore. But today, that's not the case. You see, today, the cults have gone mainstream. They're right next door. For example, they have penetrated the public school systems. I've already mentioned to you the values clarification, but uh, we could also talk about curriculum books if we wanted to. In fact, there was one study done of curriculum books which proved pretty convincingly that many curriculum books that are used by our children have been systematically stripped of Christianity, whereas these same books have lots of references to Buddhism and Hinduism and and Wicca and various uh, New Age ideas. And that communicates something to kids. When they use books that strip Christianity but still have all these other religious ideas in them, that helps to promote cultic ideas within the school system. We also see a penetration into the workplace today in the business community. In fact, the business community in America has been thoroughly penetrated by the New Age movement. Uh, There was a Wall Street Journal article that reported that business after business is putting its managers into New Age seminars, and they all promise consciousness-raising and non-religious conversion, resulting in a changed person. Now, basically, these seminars teach people how to become your own God. Now, that's very appealing, isn't it? In a culture with a bad self-image like America, what could be better news than to discover that you're your own God? And that's what these seminars do. And not only do you discover that you're your own God, 
you also discover that you can create your own reality. Now, why do you suppose businesses latch on to that? Anybody have any idea? Well, you know, if your employees can create their own realities, that means they can create wealth. See, and that's the bottom line. That's the reason why so many Fortune 500 companies are sponsoring these New Age seminars. If employees can create reality, they can create wealth. And basically the way these seminars go about it is this. First of all, they charge you a fortune. You have to pay through the roof to go to these seminars. So that should be a red flag. Whenever you see a seminar that costs a fortune, it might be new age. But beyond that, one of the first things they do is they strip your present worldview. They get up there and they just yell at you and they just berate you for what you believe and they tell you that your life is an absolute failure or you wouldn't be here and they just load this onto you for several hours, and people have been known to just fall onto the floor crying in some of these kinds of seminars. Now, once they've stripped your worldview from you, they then lead you through a mystical exercise like visualization or perhaps some kind of a deep meditation, and their goal is to induce in you an altered state of consciousness. And once you have this mystical experience, then their goal is to give you a brand new worldview that explains the experience. It's a new age worldview where you discover that you are God and you can create your own reality. Fact is, many people have been sucked into the new age movement as a result of attending these kinds of seminars. Well, how about the health facilities in this country? Has the new age penetrated health facilities? I think so. In fact, Time Magazine reports that alternative New Age medicine is now a $27 billion industry. $27 billion. That's a lot of money. The magazine also noted that about 30% of the people in this country have tried New Age therapies. And uh, their estimates are that 61 million Americans have participated in New Age therapies. Now, the fact is that this can be a backdoor straight into the New Age movement. It can be a doorway into the world of the occult, and that concerns me because, in fact, there's a lot of Christians out there who are unaware of some of this stuff, and they, too, have participated in some of these New Age therapies. It shouldn't be that way. But, you know, the recent polls indicate that about 23% of Protestants think that New Age practices are compatible with Christianity. That's astonishing to me. That's one-fourth of Protestants believe that certain New Age practices are compatible with Christianity. Uh, one example of, uh, of a New Age health therapy would be therapeutic touch. Uh, has this ever happened to you? Have you been in the hospital and somebody comes into you like a nurse and they said, we're going to give you therapy right now. And it sounds okay, right? It sounds fine. It sounds uh, like it's not threatening at all. But then they start to put their hand above your body and run their hand above you, maybe about uh, a couple of inches above your body. And you ask them, what are you doing? And what they're doing is that they are channeling the life energy into your body. And if there are any energy blockages in your body, they're going to get rid of those blockages. And sometimes you'll see them do this. You see they're sprinkling these energy discharges out of your body. And this is a new age idea that health comes from balancing the energy in your body. You see, according to new agers, not only is there a flow of energy in your body, that uh, can lead to disease if you have blockages. But they also talk about the need for you to be attuned to the universal energy, which is God. This is new age stuff. Next time, buddy, uh, next time you're in the hospital, uh, don't let anybody do the therapeutic touch on you. 
This is new age stuff, and it's occultic. Now, I hate to say it, but a lot of people in our country have also been influenced towards cultic thought from what's come out of Hollywood. And that may sound like a sensational statement, but I think the statistics bear witness to the truth of it. Now, you know, I come out of Hollywood. I mentioned my conversion experience a while ago, but that used to be my working environment. Uh, I met Jesus in the music industry in Hollywood. Uh, during those years, I was busy doing a lot of television. I did the Mike Douglas show and Merv Griffin and Dinah Shore and American Bandstand and a lot of those shows. Right in the middle of doing those shows, I met Jesus. It was actually through working with Pat Boone and his family. And so miracles can happen, praise God, but there's also a lot of new age occultism in Hollywood. And in fact, many of the screenwriters that uh, write not just for adults, but write for the children's programming are in fact new agers. Now, I could spend the rest of the hour talking about this issue, but I don't have the rest of the hour, so I'm going to give you the quick version, okay? One of the things we see common or coming out of Hollywood is the rise of the devil. We have seen so many motion pictures today that exalt the devil. And whenever you see any kind of contest between the true God and the devil, it seems like the devil always wins these days. Movies like The Exorcist, Poltergeist, The Heretic, The Amityville Horror, on and on the list goes. It seems like the devil is getting the top role in Hollywood. Now, simultaneous with this is the fact that we have movies coming out which have brought about the demise of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's movies out there like The Temptation of Christ. Uh, in this film, it was absolutely repugnant. Uh, for example, uh, one of the scenes involved the hallucination sequence in which Jesus, while suffering on the cross, envisioned himself as denying the road to Calvary and having lived a normal life instead. And he visualized himself as having married Mary Magdalene, and he had sexual relations with her. She then died abruptly, and then he married the other Mary, Martha's sister. And later, when this Mary is out of the house, Jesus has an adulterous affair with Martha. Now, I know how repugnant this sounds, but these are just representative examples. We are witnessing the rise of the devil and the demise of Christ coming out of Hollywood. There's other motion pictures I could uh, share with you as well. George Lucas, Lucas put it very well. Movies are teachers with very loud voices. Movies are teachers with very loud voices. And I can guarantee you, uh, you may not think that you're being influenced. But do you think that your children are escaping unscathed from seeing some of the stuff that's out there? I think it's something to think about. What about cultic ideas being promoted in New York Times bestsellers? You know, I do a lot of reading. I probably read an equivalent of uh, probably close to a book a day on some days, some weeks. Today, there has never been a higher number of books that are New Age or occultic being published. In fact, there are now about 2,500 occult and New Age bookstores in the United States and there are over 3,000 publishers of occult and New Age books. That's a lot. That is a lot. And even the major secular publishing houses like Bantam and Ballantyne have New Age divisions. And uh, the presidents of these divisions will always tell you that this is one of the hottest-selling divisions in the book industry, metaphysical books and New Age books. And uh, today, if you walk into big bookstores, you can walk right over to the New Age section. So we've got New Age books invading the bookstores. But you know God is fighting back. 
I was up at the Bodhi Tree, which is one of the largest New Age bookstores in the world. I mean, this is a major New Age bookstore. And don't ask me how. I have no idea how it happened. But they had a huge row of books of Walter Martin's Kingdom of the Cults. Now, go figure it. How could it happen? One of the largest New Age bookstores in the country. An entire row of the Kingdom of the Cults. Only God could do that. So praise the Lord for that. But you've also got a lot of books that are really touching a nerve with Americans, books by people like Deepak Chopra, Andrew Weil, Bernie Siegel, Marion Williamson, Kevin Ryerson, Joseph Campbell, Shirley MacLaine, uh, on and on the list goes. And every one of these authors is communicating Baltic New Age ideas. And, of course, they're all promoted on Oprah Winfrey. I think Oprah Winfrey has launched more cultists into superstardom than anybody else I'm aware of. New Age books have now gone mainstream. And in fact, they are going so mainstream that there are some industry watchers in the publishing industry who have suggested that the New Age bookstores are going to go out of business soon because the major chains are picking up all of these titles. Walden Books, Barnes & Noble, and so forth. And uh, that's something to watch. What about media savvy? I believe that one of the reasons for cultic growth is the media savvy of the cults. Bill Moyers once said that that little screen is the largest classroom, perhaps the largest chapel that God has given us in a very long time. Today, it's estimated that 97% of Americans own televisions, and 98% of them watch television regularly. Americans average about four hours a day of viewing television. And this means that over the past year, the typical American adult spent an equivalent of two full months, 24 hours a day for 61 days, watching television. Scholarly studies also reveal that kids draw most of their information, or at least a lot of their information from television, spending an average of more than 10,000 hours watching it by the time they reach 18. By the way, that represents more than one entire year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, absorbing messages broadcast by television producers. And the typical child in the preschool through sixth grade watches in excess of 30 hours of television per week. Now, I'm not a sensationalist. I'm not an alarmist. But the point that I am making to you is that when you have kids kids watching this much television, and when you combine that with the fact that a tremendous amount of our children's programming is being written by new agers. That's something that concerns me. In fact, did you know that shows like Thundercats, She-Ra, He-Man, Masters of the Universe, uh, and the list goes on and on, all of these kids' TV shows are loaded with occultism, like psychic experiences and out-of-body experiences, occultic symbols, yoga, and a variety of Eastern ideas. What's tragic is a lot of these kids get up and they watch these shows Saturday morning, and mom and dad have no idea that they're being fed an Eastern diet. This concerns me. Now, I know that we cannot insulate our kids from everything. So I do have a policy with my kids. I monitor what they watch. And I can't keep them from being exposed to certain things, but whenever they come across something that I know is new age, we always have a little discussion. And it's like a fun test. I just asked them, what did you just see that is not Christian? What did you just see that goes against what we believe 
as Christians. And so we turn it into kind of a little fun thing. And I think that all of us as parents can do that. We can make it a fun way to communicate Christian discernment to our kids. And if we don't do that, we may end up paying for it later. Now, I've given you a lot of facts. What does this mean to you and me? What does it mean to the average Christian? Well, you know, Jude 3 is a verse that we all ought to memorize. Because this is that verse that tells us to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now today, it's been well noted by others that many Christians today are secret agent Christians who have never blown their covers. And as Walter Martin used to put it, we have so many Christians today who have that uh, hideous disease known by its Latin label, non-rockabotic. We've got a lot of Christians fearful of rocking the boat for Jesus Christ and for Christian values. But let me just give you a promise. If you do not rock the boat for Jesus Christ and Christian values, I guarantee you the cults will. The cults will stand up for their values. The cults will stand up for what they believe. And so that's why it's important for you and me as average Christians to get involved. Now, I've got to warn you, you cannot leave this into the hands of the professional clergy. You cannot leave this with Paul or Rich or any of the other speakers you had today. The professionals cannot do it alone. The battle is much too big. And for that reason, I believe that God is calling every single Christian to be involved in his own sphere of influence. Yes, it must be loving, but yes, you must be involved. You must be involved. Blaise Pascal once put it this way, the entire ocean is affected by a single pebble. Simple statement, but profound truth. Every one of us can make a difference. The task begins with a single person, you. Another great thinker once said this, let him that would move the world first move himself. We have to start with ourselves. If you really want to see things get better in America, why not take the first step? You, without waiting for others to act, why not take the first step yourself and commit to being an agent of spiritual change in this country. I think you would agree with me that our country has problems. But each one of us can be a part of the solution. We need to learn as Christians how to flex apologetic muscle, but the only way you can do that is by exercising it. Your muscle will go limp if you don't exercise it. Now, I know that a lot of you know what apologetics is all about. It has to do with the defense of the Christian faith. And the fact of the matter is, is that every Christian is called to the ministry of apologetics. When Jude 3 was written, it was not written to the professionals. It was written to you and me as average Christians. But you know it's become a lost art, not just among the average Christian, but even in seminaries. You know what scares me? There's a lot of seminaries that are putting out pastors, and they haven't even had any apologetics in those seminaries. That is a scary thought. You see, and those pastors that go through those seminaries and get out there in the real world, they have no idea of what they're going to face from the kingdom of the cults. They have no idea that there are cultists who attend their church services watching for new converts who will then go up to those new converts and ask them to attend a new Bible study that they have. And new converts get sucked into the world of the cults by that methodology. Many pastors are unaware of this. They've had no apologetics training. We are to contend for the faith. And if you don't contend for the faith, the cults will contend for their belief system. 
Now, 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to be prepared with an answer. And uh, we need to be able to give that answer with gentleness and respect. Folks, I wish I had another three hours to go on this, but I don't. But that gentleness and respect is so, so important. I have seen so many apologists who have strong answers, but their life does not exude commitment to Jesus Christ. And you need to understand that the world recognizes that. Now think back in your own life, if you would. Can you think back in your life to a godly man or woman that you saw just from their very being, from their very essence, that they were sold out totally to Jesus Christ? If that person came up to you and said something to you, would you listen? You would, wouldn't you? What about the flip side of the coin? Do you know any Christians that are really smart and they seem to have all the answers, but their lives are just missing it? The commitment to Christ just doesn't seem to be there. The respect, the, the, the respect for the dignity and for compassion and love and so forth seems to be a missing element in their lives. It shouldn't be that way. One of the strongest apologetics is a man or a woman who walks with God. And answers that come from that kind of person will be listened to. That's the kind of apologist I would like to see you become. That's the kind of lay apologist I would like to see develop among people. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Well, how can you become equipped? Let me close with this. First of all, attend all the conferences sponsored by individuals like this. Now, Rich is holding up a sign that says five minutes left. I'll beat that. I'll probably do it in two minutes. First of all, do attend these kinds of conferences. (laughs) Come out on clean spirits. I'll have to tell them what you're really like, Rich, if you don't behave. It is getting late, isn't it? Now, about this time of night, something happens to Rich. (laughs) Pam, I don't know how you do it. (laughs) You're a funny guy. No, I tell you what, it's, it's fun. Uh, do attend these kinds of conferences. But beyond that, there's some other specific steps that you can take. Uh, for example, I, I really think it would be a beneficial thing for you to get on the mailing list of all these ministries here so they can keep in contact with you. The fact of the matter is, is the more in touch you are with apologetic ministries, the more they can help you become equipped for you to do what you need to do. Another thing you can do is make sure that your own church is doing something like this church is doing. Make sure that your own pastor has some kind of an apologetics program going. And I know that today is not the style to be into apologetics, but why don't you take the first step? Why don't you be the aggressor in making sure that it happens? Every church ought to be having courses on this. Uh, but beyond this, there are some specific steps that you can take to be salt and light in society. You know, Jesus has called us to be salt and light. And if you just give me one more minute, I'll tell you some areas where you can make a difference. Uh, Just to give you a couple ideas, you can be salt and light in your own family. Now, that's where it begins. Make sure that you set Christ first in your family. Make sure that your kids can see it. 
make sure that your kids understand that there is one ruler in your family, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. When you make a mistake, let your kids know that you made a mistake and that you've repented before the Lord Jesus Christ. See, if kids see the authority of Christ demonstrated in your life, it will have a profound impact on them. That's what we do in our family. When I blow it, I apologize publicly. I let my kids know I've done wrong and that I've repented before the Lord Jesus. It's an important thing. We can also be salt and light by influencing school curriculums. Some school curriculums have new age ideas in some of the books. Well, there have been communities of Christians who have joined together and with one strong voice have stood against some of these curriculums and overturned them. You can do it. How about at the workplace? You can be salt and light at the workplace by reflecting how Christ affects your own ethics and your own actions. We can be respectful, but take an unbending and firm stand against New Age seminars. And as well, we can be active in society by standing against societal intruders like secular humanism and moral relativity wherever these things come up. But you know, it all begins with you. You will either be a soldier engaged in the battle, as Walter Martin used to say, or you will be a casualty on the sideline. Which one will it be? Thank you. Okay. Well, I really like that. Um, recognize that as far as me and myself, uh, maybe... I'm one of those guys who have too much head knowledge, not enough to walk in and being a great example of Christ. Uh, I wouldn't say maybe, I would say definitely. So <laughs> I need to work on that. Anyways, I'll go back to just a little bit of reading. Oh, I know this show has been kind of long, but eh, we'll do it for another half an hour. <clears throat> it's uh, This is from Hub Pages. Uh, let's see, it's... Uh, who wants to know? Uh, Hubpages.com. Uh, it's spelled H O O wants to N O. So, who wants to know? And um, he does this article, or she. Um, I don't know the name. It's called Sons of Nephilim, a Hoax. And you might go, well, we're jumping all over the place. This uh, guy was talking about the Internet or the entertainment industry or the Jehovah Witnesses or whoever it may be. But the problem is this stage of game, from what I see, that we are dealing with a whole bunch of cults. And somehow we ain't get back to the basics. But the first thing I think that we need to do, too, is break down some of these fantasies, uh, these fables, um, deny them the opportunity of polluting our minds and the minds of those who care about. Anyway, it starts off this, the, the, the delusion. Here is another one of those famous hoaxes intended to prick the ears of the learned accepted as mythology or folklore. I have listened and seen and read many variations of this fable and myth, and it has many errors. I must say that stupidity is always the fault of the reader 
if he does not check to see if the things are so. The distortions are too evident and deliberate, and most are lies gathered from books not included in the Bible, e.g. the book of Enoch, and the Discovery Channels, including uh, deceived Christians. How can this verse be missed out? The lineage of Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, Luke 3, verses 23 through 38, and uh, then he quotes this particular one, 38, which of the son of Enos, which were the son of Seth, which were the son of Adam, which were the son of God. The blue words are clickable, and if you want to, this article, you can go and, uh, of course, it has these, you can access the, the, the verses. Looks like he primarily uses it. King James. Um, we'll start out here with uh, Genesis 6-1, and then read through to 6-4. And it says, it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth, the daughters were born unto them, and the sons of God, Ben, Elohim, saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and took them as wives, all of which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not dwell, or shall not strive with men, for he also is flesh. Uh, yet his days shall be numbered 120 years, and there were giants on, in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God, Ben Elohim, came into or unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. This same became mighty men, and then it says Adam with a it looks like a comma or M before the A, which were of old um, Olam, that's O-W-L-A-M, men of renown. Sons of God, Ben Elohim, man, Adam, old Olam, kind of like Al-Am. These scriptures at no point are mentioning angels or even fallen angels, and it has Satan in brackets, let alone that fallen angels are called sons of God. Imagine demons called sons of God, biblically impossible. These scriptures were taken out of context by placing words in the minds, M-I-N-D-S, to indicate that angels sleep or slept with man's daughters and giants were born. If you notice the tense, it says, and also after that. So this says that there were giants before the sons of men came into the daughters of men. Also note that the same became mighty men. The idea of this being angels at all was invented by non-biblical origins and taken translations out of context. These mighty men are humans and not hybrid offsprings from a demon or human. The whole Genesis is talking about mankind falling under the influence and lies of Satan. Compare the above verses to this one.
And then it says, was it Ezra 9.2? For they have taken their daughters for themselves and of their sons, so that the holy, uh, Kadush, Q-O-D-E-S-H, seed, Zara, have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hands of the princes and rulers have, have been chief in this trespass. trespass excuse me. Holy Kadush, seed, Zara, um, apartness, holiness, sacredness, separateness. There are some misleading ideas around that men only became sons of God after Jesus died and was resurrected. That idea is not in line with Scripture, as Scripture already mentions. Men that call upon the name of God, the, son of, the, the sons of God, Adam was called son of God, and all humanity is Adam, but only those offspring that call on God are called sons of God. Jesus is God of the Old Covenant and also God of the New Covenant. Mentions, the mention of angels in Genesis. Genesis 19.1 And there came two angels, Malik, uh, to Sodom that eve, evening, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. The angels were called lords. Lot did not know they were angels, also angels of God. Genesis 19.2, and he said, Behold now, my lords, um, Adon, that's A-D-O-W-N, enter, and I pray to you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early, and go on your ways. They said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. Genesis 28:12. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels, Malik of God, Elohim, ascending and descending on it. Genesis 32:1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. The Hebrew meaning of angels is uh, Malik, as M-A-L-A-K. Angels of God is called Malik Elohim. Elohim, excuse me. Interesting enough, even the Bible discriminates between angels and humans, even down to the detail. In 1 Corinthians 15, 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of man, another flesh for beast, and another for the fish, and another for the birds. 1 Corinthians 15.40, And there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Celestial, emporanios, um, emporanios, that's E-P-O-U-R-A-N-I, OS, excuse me, existing in heaven, a body that is suited for eternal existence as angels have. Terrestrial is a pig, G O, A P I G E I O S, 
existing upon the earth, earthly terrestrial. So Jesus compares a resurrected man to being a like an angel. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. Given in marriage refers to procreation. Jesus was speaking about angels of God. Matthew 22:30. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Genesis 1:28. God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. From this we see God gave man the authority over all things on the earth, including angels, fallen or not, hence. Bruise the serpent's head. It is man's dominion, but the serpent beguiled Eve, and you know the rest. The angels could never procreate with humans. They are not able to. They are not flesh. They are not biological creatures. Neither can they be. Uh, they may look like humans and appear like humans. See angels and demons on my hub. Okay. Also, before I say where the hoax started, we will first look at the sons of God are. Who the sons of God are. Uh, ben Elohim is the Hebrew name for sons of God and expresses man as from God. Hence, man created in God's image and likeness, unlike angels. Ben means sons of or male child. In um, Genesis 4.25, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Um, Genesis... 426 to Seth and to him also there were there was born a son and he called his name Enos then began men to call upon the name of the Lord so God gave Seth to Eve to replace Abel because he was killed by Cain Seth's son began to call upon the name of the Lord this is where it gets interesting because the Bible backs itself up again, but I will use one of many choices. Luke 3, verse 38. Which was the son of Enos? Which was the son of Seth? Which was the son of Adam? Which was the son of God? John 1, 12. But as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them they believe on his name. So the sons of Seth were the sons of God because of their godliness. In Genesis 4.26, calling upon the name of the Lord. This does not mean that they, were, they will remain sons of God because they're a fleshly lure to women daughters. God is the same in the Old Testament as the New Testament. God has not changed. Only the fact that now he lives in believers and not external as the Old Covenant by being born again. Thank goodness for that. Some confuse the Son of God's 
son of God, and Job as angels. And Job 1.6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And Job 2.1, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Satan was accusing the sons of, of doing evil, because, but because Job's righteousness before God and offering sacrifice for sin, righteousness covered his family, hence why they were called sons of God. Also, here they did not remain sons of God because their lust of the flesh. Satan destroyed them after God allowed Satan to have his way, but no harm Job not harm Job to death. These are not angel, angels presenting themselves before God because of, of the, because the judgment against angels has already been taken place. Satan is earthbound and he is restricted to movements and chains of darkness till God casts him into the bottomless pit of, of the abyss. So Satan roams about with his demon entourage, accusing men of his sins and deceiving men and creating false beliefs and religions, cults and paranormal, psychic phenomena, etc. So who were the daughters of men? Cain was rebellious towards God and was influenced by Satan. That's why he killed Abel. Satan, is, the devil, is a murderer and this was what he caused Cain to do. Abel a son of God, with a pleasing first fruit. Uh, John 8:44. And ye are your father's, the devil. You are the fa- you are your father, the devil. And the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and above not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Genesis 4, 5. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. In Genesis 4, 6, the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth and why is thy countenance fallen? In Genesis 4, 8, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Genesis 4, 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I know not. I am not. Am I my brother's keeper? Genesis 4, 16, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Genesis 4:17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of the son Enoch. And Genesis 4:22. And Zillah, she also bare Tabel, Tabel Cain, and instructor of every artificer, artificer, in brass and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was uh, Naamah. 
So when God saw the sons of God, the believers were getting into non-believers' daughters of man, it displeased God. But God did say they were mere men also. My spirit shall not do, shall not always strive with them, for that he is, for that he also is flesh. Genesis three, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be numbered one hundred and twenty years. The word strive in nine. That's the uh, word strive is. D-I-Y-N means to judge, contend, plead. The word flesh is basar, that's B-A-S-A-R. So we can see in that comment, he calls the sons of God men and flesh. Look again. My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, Yet his days shall be numbered 120 years. This was probably God hinting at the coming destruction of a sinful and violent world influenced by Satan. Not only that, but the inhabitants were flesh, not angel, fallen angels. Now that the puzzle is solved about the sons of God that turned out to be mankind, I suppose we will look at the missing words of Nephilim. The two meanings of the word giants, Nephili and Rapha, giants in Hebrew, Nephili, giants, Nephilim, Hebrew, Nephilim, the ones distinguished. The meaning of Nephili has none, um, has Nephilim, or Nephilim, as its root, implying fallen, even uh, an evil nature. So, it, in the true sense, it means giants with a, with an ungodly nature, disobedient. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. We're terrorizing the earth and concerning mighty men, but does not necessarily mean giants in physical size, but in being renowned with reputation. Also note that mankind lived to ripe old ages in the excess of 900 years old. Imagine being a chief for 900 years. Note the term used Genesis 6-4. The same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. This word nephil, 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 uh, is only used twice once in Genesis, before the flood, in Numbers, and referring to the giants as the chief lords of the day, attached to lawlessness and ungodliness. Genesis 6-4, there was giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Numbers 13.33, there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, and that's A-N-A-K, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grass, 
grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. The words giant in Hebrew, uh, Repha, giants, Rephaim, the following giants as a tribe were called Emins, that's E-M-I-M-S, Emins, by the Moabites, and the Zamzumins by the Ammonites. In these verses, it is referring to an old tribe of giants, and the word for giants is Rapha. They also lived before Moses, but after the flood, obviously, an offshoot of Noah's children, as in everyone today, a giant gene... The giant gene was also carried by Noah. The meaning Rapha is the same meaning as Raphium. It was the word used for giants. Some verses say giants, others Raphium. Raphium. And they are talking about the same thing, e.g. Deuteronomy 2.11, which also were counted giants as the Anna Anakims, but the Moabites called them Anakims. Note here the giants Anakin or Anakin, Anak or Anakims mentioned in Numbers thirteen thirty three Deuteronomy two one are the same giants, and both Rapha and Nephel used to describe them. In Second Samuel five eighteen, the Philippines also. Yeah, the Philippines, the, Phil, the Philistines, excuse me, also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And this um, is Joshua 15:8, and the uh, valley of Hinnon westward, which is at the end of the valley of the giants northward. Deuteronomy 2:20, that also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt. There in an old time, and the Ammonites called them Zamzumims. Deuteronomy 3.11 For only Og, king of Bashan, remained, in the, remained of the remnant of the giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. It is not in Rabbath of the children of Ammon. Nine cubits was the length thereof. Four cubits was the breadth of it after a cubit of a man. In Deuteronomy 3.13, the rest of the Galead and the Basham, being kingdom of Og, gave eye unto half-tribe of Manasseh, all the regions of Argob, with all of Bashan, which was called the land of the giants. The word Nephilim, as we have been shown, was never used correctly, nor means what we are told it means. The false meaning is, again, hybrid human giants. The meaning of Rapha is the same meaning as Raphim. It was the word used for giants, and some verses say giants, others Raphim, and they are talking about the same thing. There is also another meaning of the word Rapha, which is, which also is deceased and is not describing angels 
are demons. In Isaiah 26, 14, they are dead, and they shall not live. They are deceased, they shall not rise. Therefore hast thou visited and destroyed them, and made all their memories to perish. There were Nephilim, never appeared in certain Bibles, because the word giants was used. But got placed in modified Bibles, and now a false gospel appears again because it only appears in a book that was, uh, which was an imitation of scriptures, namely the book of Enoch, a manuscript imitation of the Torah used by a sect, of, sect and Judaic offshoots. <coughs> Even Jude quoted from it, not realizing it was an imitation and false gospel. Read here. Jude one fourteen and Enoch also the seventh from God prophesied of these, saying, Behold the Lord cometh with ten thousands of the saints. Enoch was never a prophet or called to be a prophet, neither did he prophesy why. Hebrews eleven five. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So this itself tells you that Enoch slash Enos was the son of God also, the son of Jared, the father of Methuselah. There was no city named after Enoch either. The book of Enoch, estimated date of writing was between 150 and 80 B.C., <coughs> fragments of the book of Enoch was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls obviously the book of Enoch was not written by Enoch who lived before the flood there never were books recorded before the flood only after the flood by Moses and never in any place did Moses record what Jude was saying or even the book of Enoch Jesus told us who we are to believe concerning scripture Luke 16:29. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Luke 16:31. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Luke 24:27. The beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded. Uh, unto them and all the scriptures that faith concerning himself. God said he gave us Moses and the prophets. Obviously, Moses was after the flood and gave us all the, bo the books ex except the book of Enoch, which didn't exist. The fable started with the book and, and the incorrect use of the word Nephilim as a race of giants produced by and the marriage between angels and women as stated in the book of Enoch. There are two types of fallen angels. There are angels and there are men. God in the unadulterated uh, Bible was not talking about angels in Genesis 6-4. He was talking about men. The whole Bible is about God saving mankind and warning us about the deceiver Satan and the devil the deceiver. The word Nephilim does not appear in the KGB and others. And uh, it says here Genesis 6-4, there were giants on the earth those days, 
and also after that. And when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And then it just says here the word Nephilim is not found in KJV, the new KJV, the RBR, the NLT, the DBY, the WEB, the HNV, the VUL. So, it is extremely important that you have a readable Bible, not a deceiver's choice book. As you can see, the word Nephilim was placed into Bible's biblical thoughts and has created the UFO alien theory. This is also where the thought and theories of uh, where aliens come from. I suppose you might, you must identify with this lie in the world that has changed the mind of men to look for something other than God and see where it, it is today. All about cover-ups and secrets. What a joke. Anything but Jesus Christ looks appealing today and offers some form of light or enlightenment. Second Corinthians 11.13 For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Second Corinthians 11.14 And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So Satan lies are being believed as the truth. Back to the true scriptures. What the true scriptures say, though. Read uh, Genesis 6-4. Once again, there were giants on the earth in those days, and also after that, and when the sons of men came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown, more on giants. <clears throat> there were giants after the flood, a genetic trait carried in man, as can be seen still today. Numbers 13, 30, 33, and, and there we saw the giants, the Nephil, the Nephil, the, son, uh, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. Anak was the forefather of the Anakites, or Anakim, who were seen as strong and tall. The, the use of the word Nephilim is this verse is used to describe their ungodliness as enemies of Israel. Their physical stature was genetically gigantic, and genetics were carried by Noah and none other. The text states that an Anak uh, was a Raphaite and the son of Arab, or Arba, Arba, circle. Anak means long neck. Also note there was no uh, angelic uh, procreation affair here. Obviously this is an after the flood. Yet the word Nephilim, uh, Nephilim is used for these big men they can't be offspring of angels either. Neither, not that it, not that it even happened. Uh, Deuteronomy 3:11, for only Og, king of Bashan, remained the remain of the remnant of the giants. Behold, his bedstool was the bed, uh, bedstead of iron, 
excuse me, his bedstead was the bedstead of iron. Is it not the rabbit of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, four cubits breadth of it, after the cubit of man. Og was between nine, eight and nine feet tall, looking at the bed size, although there are various cubic sizes, you may even think his bed comes could have been 12 feet long. There were big men in existence before and after the flood, and this is where the other meaning of the word giant appears. To sum this up would, be, would basically be there were no angelic human hybrids, nor were there subgroups of hybrids. There were giants, and the interpretation of the meanings was twisted. They were just big, evil men influenced by the devil, hence the meaning Nephilim, to describe the fallen mind and soul of a man. If by any chance that there were hybrids at any time before the flood, then obviously they would have all been destroyed by the flood. Noah's offspring were not carriers of hybrid genes. Can demons have intercourse with humans? Um, they can, but there will be no offspring. <laughs> I don't even know if they can do that. There are demons known as incubuses and succubuses for perversion of the flesh and lust, but have never produced an offspring. God made them sexless and blanks after his judgment on them and tossed them onto the earth. The latest addition to try and falsely build the theory of aliens is that these last days before Jesus Christ comes is the aliens have been experimenting and altering men's DNA and genes, which the heck was that? No, I think you wanted to do some job. Okay, I hope that didn't cause too much of a problem. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where was I with all this? Uh, the latest addition uh, to try and falsely build this on the theory of the aliens is that these last days before Jesus Christ comes is that aliens have been experimenting altering those DNA and genes, which is obviously a total hoax, but this is a diverse and only verse that they have used to actually imply this. And Daniel 2.43 where thou saw the iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seeds of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. This is talking about the New World Order, and they will globalize the world under their control. It is also shows the New World Order will collapse and will not work. And, of course, we realize that the New World Order is actually Rome. So <laughs> it's just to try to attempt one, one final attempt to reestablish the unholy Roman Empire. That's, at least that's my take on it. Um, the mingle is describing how the mixing of nations will not take place by destroying borders and cultures to create a one-world government, just like it was in Babylon as the first global kingdom after the flood, where God changed the languages of Babylon to different languages, and this caused the collapse of the Babylon. Babylon today 
is the new world order controlled by the by Europe the beast which seven heads and ten horns there are no aliens but fallen angels do not believe they lie go well all right so anyways we read that um Look at that and save that. Anyways, um, interesting stuff. I think uh, for any of those who download this and listen to it, I hopefully my voice is tolerable. If not, at least you had a couple um, audios from the Center for Apologetics uh, research. And uh, I think those guys do a good job at least introducing folks to all the the cults out there that are calling themselves Christian and uh, uh, giving you some intellectual defense. I think as time goes on, we'll play more of those audios. And then in one of the audios, in particular talking about, um, uh, let's go back and just make sure about that, Uh, 10 keys to witnessing to the cults. Um, It recommends reading a book called Approaching God, and um, the between the phenomenology and theology, and um, it might be a worthy read on this show. As I try to figure out what is the best way of going about this, because the first four months, you know, we focused a lot on the problem, and of course, the answer to all this is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, how do we go about that? helping people, including myself, to have a more solid, sound understanding of what it means um, to save by grace through faith. Um, and tearing away a lot of the bondage, a lot of the religion, um, the, the the cultish natures uh, that we're all exposed to and very influenced in being part of. I can see in my show that that's what was happening. Um, that it is becoming a, the cult of exposing Rome. And I, I think it's still important that we do expose Rome, and, but there's also her daughter churches, and there's all this false doctrine out there. And the biggest thing is, how do you really defend people over this? How do you defend yourself? It's coming down to me, at least from my understanding, is to actually know who Christ is, which means you end up having a real relationship with Christ, you put him first before anything else. And we live in a world where that's kind of scary for many of us because, you know what, we are alone in this world. We do not have a place right now to belong to. But the more and more I learn this stuff, the more God's been working on me this week, um, I'm starting to realize a couple of things. You know, maybe it's okay just to be in a church that recognizes who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and understands, you know, the true ethic, you know, what, what the new covenant is. And if they really are believers in uh, uh, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, you know, if their doctrine is a little skewed, I don't have to go along with their doctrine. So maybe I've been too judgmental about things, and that more, I should, maybe I should be more Christ-like in my approach to things. Anyways, this is how I see things at this moment. Um, it's been a very interesting ride in this show. 
this show has been one that's taught me probably more than anybody about where I'm actually at, where my flaws are, where I need to work on. This, what I really need to work on is my relationship with Christ. And also the same token, expose these things that are out there, but somehow do it in a way that's more Christ-like and not so arrogant. I have big issues with that. Obviously, I need to work on it. Um, so, by the grace of God, and if he's willing to keep this show going, and my health keeps up, I will keep on doing it. So, anyways, that will be this week's version of Wacky Wednesday. The next time, when we get back to this, we're going to now look at the, um, you know, the skulls, you know, that they supposedly found in South America and all that the big old conehead things. Um, let me scroll up here. Um, there's a lot of things, you know, this particular uh, ancientaliendebunk.com. I think this is Chris, Light, Chris White. Uh, well, it was posted by Frank Johnson. I don't know if Chris White says anything in here, but it sounds an awful lot like him. Um, if it is, it doesn't matter, except the fact that there's certain things, you know, but the future dispensationalism in his world, he's got a few things that he's not, I don't know. I mean, you know, he's trying to do a good job, I and mean, he's in peace flesh like everyone else. Actually, Chris has a lot of good things to say. But anyways, when it comes to this, this perver- uh, per- Peruvian Nephilim slash alien hybrid skulls that we see so many people pushing and using in their videos, justify there was some kind of uh, alien hybridization, some demonic hybridization of human beings. Uh, we're going to deal with this in a more scientific level, look at the facts, the evidence, what they actually really do have, how uh, it doesn't really line up, um, you know, as far as in the genes and um, what do they call that stuff again? Mm-hmm, they call it like spectronometry or, I'm not saying it right, um, spectrography or whatever it is. Uh, and a few other things, and um, we'll deal with that, and, and then we'll probably end up listening to a couple more things about cults, because this is uh, very much an introductory level of uh, how cults have influenced, influenced the church. Now, of course, it's not the same magnitude as, say, um, the Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or whoever it may be, or the Roman Catholic Church, but, you know, it's a starting it's 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 a a way of uh, being introduced to false doctrines, and if you can buy into this stuff, you're more likely to buy into even more of fable stuff. So, we've got a lot of things to still work on, and um, yeah. So, anyways, this was Wacky Wednesday. Next Wednesday, we'll keep it going until we've. Uh, I feel satisfied that we have proven our point, and. Uh, this whole thing about alien slash demonic hybrids between fallen angels and people is absolute a fable. It's a fairy tale, and once again says something about us and how fallen we are. <laughs> Were we willing to even <coughs> entertain the idea? So, what has happened to us? Anyways, with that, God bless. Take care, and anyone who listens. Um, Hope you enjoy it, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.